This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast Podcast. It's Friday, September 15th, 2023, and this is the Steak for Breakfast Podcast, episode 274. Make sure to subscribe to the show. It's available across every downloadable podcasting platform. Find us on Apple, Spotify, iHeart, and Google Podcasts. Check out the Steak for Breakfast link tree that will take the show's Instagram, our latest Substack, and verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and Truth Social. What's up, everybody, and happy Friday. I'm Rowan. Noah's here. Yo. Jim Nels is going to be joining us to do the news today as well. We've got a great slate of guests coming in. Also, former chief of staff to the DOD, great friend of the show, Cash Patel, will be here. Senatorial candidate out of Arizona. Sheriff Mark Lamb will be joining us as well. Former Secretary of the Interior, David Bernhardt, will be here. And we'll sit down with America's Colonel, Colonel Douglas McGregor. He'll be joining us as well. Lots of breaking news. We'll look over the fallout from Kevin McCarthy's initiation of the Joe Biden impeachment inquiry. Hunter Biden was indicted yesterday. A lot of people haven't heard about it. Big shocker there. And Donald Trump sits down with Megyn Kelly for the first time in over seven years and meets the press. We'll have full coverage. But before we get to any of the news, let's take it over to the nation's capital and change the way you consume your news. Smokey, this is not NOM. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Big Friday edition of the show today. I'm Rowan. Noah's here. Yo. Supply chain expert and great friend of the show, Jim Nels, is joining us as well. Hey, everybody. If you're a first-time listener, welcome to the show. If you're a long-time listener, of course, welcome back to America's fastest-growing political podcast. And okay, getting things started today, we're going to be sitting down with the 53rd Secretary of the Interior. He last served during the Trump administration. Always great catching up with David Bernhardt. Mr. Secretary, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to the discussion. Looking forward to discussing with you as well. All right, let's talk about this. Secretary of the Interior, when you were there, you've been on the show a couple times. You talked about, you know, what you wrote in your book, uh, how you had an incredible dynamic with President Trump when you served under him. As the Secretary of Interior, you really wanted to buy into that and have everybody else buy into that notion that it doesn't have to be in some cubicle in Washington, D.C. You wanted to get out and really get all the way involved in, in the job that you were, you know, selected to do. I see a lot different take from the person who's sitting as the Secretary of Interior now, and I just wanted to kind of compare and contrast the two spots with you, the night and day difference that we're seeing, uh, you know, when we're talking about this cabinet-level position and how politicized it can become just when, you know, as simple as a president changing office. Well, look, uh, the reality from my perspective is that the person sitting at the very top, the president, is the one that sets the tone for everything. And so, you know, the president that I worked for had a vision of uh, energy dominance. Um, uh, he wanted he wanted energy uh, security for the country. He believed that fundamentally energy um, production uh, led to a greater economic um, opportunity for Americans. He thought it led to more plentiful supply of energy. He thought it led to greater national security. And um, ultimately, he thought that it was tremendous for the American worker. Um, and so he had a vision on energy, and that vision uh, appropriately flowed down to uh, my predecessor, Ryan Zinke, and me. That was a key priority. 
He cared deeply about forest management. He's like, get our forests under control. These forest fires are out of control. We need to be thinning. We need to be um, thinning the forest. We need to be improving the situation on the ground. We need to be dedicating resources for forest management. That flowed down. And so I think everything really starts at the top for the American people in terms of a result. And so you had the person I worked for, President Trump, had a vision, and he also had a forceful personality. I mean, if you weren't hitting your mark, you heard about it. And so as a consequence of that, you wanted to um, go in that direction. Now, um, my successor, um, uh, the sec- current Secretary of the Interior, she has a different mission. Her mission, um, you know, to be fair, is one that says, look, let's stop. I mean, the president, uh, President Biden, when he ran for office, said no permitting of federal ac- oil and gas activities on federal land. Like, that was his goal. And so her goal has to be, um, you know, how do I um, demonstrate that I'm making progress on limiting um, energy production on federal land. So you see this, like every week they have a new announcement. Um, you know, these are their priorities. I'll tell you one that's coming up that's going to be really interesting to watch if there ends up being a, a shutdown of any sort. And that is that when I was um, secretary or acting secretary, um, I chose to do everything I could to keep the national parks open during part of the the the, the shutdown. And we we came up with some ways uh, appropriately. The Office of Management and Budget agreed to them, and we did them, and they're illegal. And so um, it will be interesting to see when this secretary is faced with a challenge, if she is, of do I close the national parks or not? Which direction does she go? What policy choice does she make for the American people? I believe um, I believed fundamentally that access to the national parks by the American people was par- important during COVID. I believed it was important during the government shutdown, and I pushed to keep those things open. And so we'll see how how she handles that. But the truth of the matter is, here's what matters to the American people. Who they vote for, um, does their vote count? And then does um, the president have a vision that en- enhances their lives? And, you know, we have a president right now who took a very different position on energy security, takes a very different position on forest management, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, when you look at the job that Debbie Hallen's been tasked with, you know, she's the current Secretary of the Interior. Joe Biden has catered and kowtowed to the radical climate mafia, re-regulations like crazy, stopping energy independence, doesn't want anything to do with energy dominance. And then, you know, between both of them, both Joe Biden and, and Debbie Hallen, they, they both have strong and long-lasting ties to the, you know, lobbyist uh, community, and, and it, it seems... To me, like the best interest of the American people, especially when you're talking about things like energy, when you're talking about things like uh, investment in national parks and stuff, they're just not getting the same interests as when you were there. Well, it's a it's a different set of priorities. I mean, you know, I would have never thought in my lifetime that our national energy policy would be don't develop American energy resources, but beg and 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 borrow um, when we could develop them here, beg and borrow uh, the Middle East, Venezuela, Russia, because they've decided as a matter of policy, they'd prefer to get energy from foreign sources over uh, the availability of energy in the United States. I mean, there was a time I worked in the Bush administration uh, for George W. Bush. And at that time, 
you know, the president didn't think that we necessarily had the energy resources that we know we have today in the United States. So he he operated, President Bush operated in a in a world where we were dependent on foreign sources of oil because like we were actually dependent. Trump and um, tech, Amer- truthfully, American technology and entrepreneurship changed that with the shale revolution. But now we're choosing to be more dependent as a matter of choice, as a matter of policy choice. And that is absolutely astounding to me. And it should be astounding to every American. Oh, I mean, you make some excellent points there, Mr. Secretary. And I do want to stay in the category of astounding. Now, I know you're someone that's been tracking the 2024 presidential primary race. I don't think there's any surprises here between the four of us about how strong Donald Trump has been on the campaign trail. You know, some of the most recent polling that's come out this week shows him in the real quote politics average beating Joe Biden in a head-to-head matchup, although, you know, it's by a small percentage in the 2020 election cycle, according to the same pollsters, that never happened. In addition, depending, depending on the polls, you've got between a 30 and 50 point lead for Donald Trump in every head-to-head matchup or individually state-run races in regards to the primary. Is, is it any surprise to you at all to see Donald Trump remaining so strong and having so much of the Republican base uh, looks like they're committed to him and, and, you know, as he heads towards the three-peat for the nomination? Well, I mean, here's my own personal view. Um, you know, in my lifetime, and this would include, you know, I was a kid with Reagan, obviously, but in my lifetime, I've not seen a um, American public figure that connects with the American people the way um, President Trump does. So I think it's different than like just a partisan relationship or politician. I mean, you see the relationship and it's significant, but, and I'm not a politician, but I can tell you this, here's what I think is a game changer. I think the fact that um, South Dakota governor, Christy Norum endorsed the president uh, last week, I think, I think that is a sign that like his support is demonstrably overwhelming. And so I would take that as a as a clarion call or a, a, a big ringing of the bell that that President Trump's dominance here is in this in this primary is very, 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 very real. People are seeing it. Um, we see it on the ground. We, we can feel uh, the relationship the president has in terms of the connection of the people. But I think we're about to see a sea change of people just moving forward um, publicly into his camp more and more and more. And I, I think that is just the way the cards have been dealt. You know, you made a really excellent point. We talk about it on the show all the time. Do you think now in this election cycle, which is the big difference from 2020, obviously the mainstream media and, and a lot of facets of the government use the pandemic as kind of cover to keep Donald Trump away from the public as much as possible. There were still rallies, obviously the messaging, but in this cycle now, Donald Trump is able to become that touchable candidate that you don't necessarily get all the time when people run for political office. Like just last week, he does the rally in South Dakota with Christy Nome. Love the optics there. Gets in a plane the next day. He's at the Iowa Iowa State game. Walks into a frat house. He's grilling burgers. He's throwing footballs. He's walking into the stadium. And just being well-received is like, this man was the president of the United States. He's one of the most recognizable figures in, in, in the history of the modern world. And and here he is at my football game, and everybody's just going wild for him. Is it is it that component that he's been able to add back to the repertoire on the campaign trail that Donald Trump's, you know, resonated so well in this election cycle? Well, I think you're right. I mean, I, I think he just comes across to the American people genuinely 
as one of them. I mean, he cares about the American people deeply. Um, they can feel it in him. There's an authenticity to him that, you know, you can't like be a politician and fake it. Um, and, and, and he, it's felt. It's felt in a way that's unusual, in my opinion. It's felt in a way that is unusual and so different than, you know, David Bernhardt couldn't go out and make people relate the same way. That doesn't mean David's not a great guy or whatever, but, you know, it's just not it's not going to be that same connection. And, you know, I went the first time I went to a rally, um, I went there because, like, you know, I had to go, basically. And I went and I thought, it, can you imagine, like, if 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 you went home to a spouse or a friend or whatever, and you said, our plan is to go go watch a person stand in the middle of um, an arena and give a speech for, what, 90 or 120 minutes, and people are going to love it. Like, people would say, like, no one does that. Like, it's completely... Um, like that doesn't happen. And then you go and it's like completely entertaining. People love it. It was vibrant. And I walked away and I said, oh my goodness, this is like something I have never, like I not only have never seen, like I couldn't even um, contemplate. And that is the relationship. You watch you watch the footage from the fraternity house. And I, uh, by the way, I love that. I, I have two kids in college. And so, um, uh, you know, I looked at that and you watch just their enthusiasm for him um, that, you know, when he's throwing the footballs, when he's flipping the burgers and like, it's very hard. Yeah. You, you could take a hundred politicians and run that through them. Yeah. And like, they're um, awkward. The kids are awkward. It's just a different environment. And then you throw him into what a WWE uh, <laughs> event. Like, can you imagine um, the average politician, what type of uh, of applause they get. He just resonates with the American people differently. He resonates with the American worker differently. Yes, and um, and that's just him. That's just that's not politics. That's just DNA. No, it, you make a great point, and you know you, you just can't beat it when you when you see the job that President Trump's been able to do, both in time as the president and again as a candidate now. It's it's like nothing's changed, and actually he's got stronger. I personally feel after tracking him for so long and doing a lot of coverage, you know, for over five years here on the show, that he has definitely reached a point to where he's stronger than I've seen him in any of the primary seasons and can't wait for him to get into the general election cycle next year. Mr. Secretary, last thing I want to touch with you on, I mean, I know you have saw the recent developments uh, that happened up on Capitol Hill this week, uh, House Republican Speaker Kevin McCarthy opened up an official inquiry into Joe Biden regarding impeachment, you know President Trump endured two of those throughout the course of his presidency. When you see some of the things that the House Republicans have been able to just start to uncover right now, where do you see this going eventually? Well, um, you know, at the end of the day, the impeachment is a is a, uh, a proceeding and, you know, legislative uh, act. And I, I don't ever make real predictions about what Congress is going to do. But what I can say is, like, you know, what's what's most shocking here and should be shocking to the American people is every time, you know, something comes out, it's more indication that there was real financial benefits flowing to people from a person serving in public office. And I find that absolutely an affront as somebody who served, okay, somebody who basically and and willingly and wanted to do this, I left my private sector experience and went to public service and went there um, at, um, you know, at, 
because I wanted to do good for the American people. And that comes with a little bit of a personal cost. I mean, honestly, in terms of um, of finances. But you do that because you care about the American people. You care about the country. You You get a tremendous benefit by serving the satisfaction of doing good. And the notion that your family members and you would be involved in enriching yourselves in schemes during that really is an affront not only to the country, not only to the law, but it really should be an affront to every single person who served. And um, and um, I find it unbelievable as they, you know, the, the, the committees have done an incredible job of identifying just the number of LLCs involved in these transactions, the number of countries involved in these transactions, the interrelationship between um, where this money came from and the portfolio the then vice president had. I mean, all of that is absolutely um, jaw-dropping and um, and shocking, frankly. And, and to be honest, if a dollar had flown uh, to Don Jr. <laughs> during uh, the president's uh, uh, tenure. Can you imagine the press attention those types of things would have gotten? And the the hypocrisy here that this isn't like on the news every single moment, um, you know, m- you know, page one through 20 of the Washington Post, in my mind is just, it is absolutely um, the epitome of how different um, different politicians are treated. Because of their party affiliation. Let's be honest. Yeah, that's uh, basically what we're we're going to be talking about here as we're getting the show ready to get kicked off. And you know, it's it, the two tiers is is one thing, but just like I mean, the Hunter Biden indictment that happened yesterday, five year investigation. There's you know fair violations. There's tax violations, and then what do they wind up indicting him on? Some BS gun charge that has no connectivity to Joe Biden in any context, and kind of allows Hunter Biden to have a free pass and questioning moving forward. You mentioned Don Jr. 28 hours plus uh, of you know uh, he had to go sit and testify before the House committees, and they were threatening him with like jail forever and treasonous acts and this that and the other thing. We're just not seeing the same thing. I do like the fact that Republicans are going to take the high road in this, but at the same time, I do want to see justice served if there were actually any kind of crimes committed, which, uh, you know, based off of some of the evidence that we're hearing and some of the moderate Republicans have already come over and said, this is big and this is important. Uh, You know, I really hope that this does go somewhere. Mr. Secretary, this was great sitting down with you on the show today. We're obviously going to live link your link tree and a link to your book in the show description today. But for anybody that's not following you on social media, where can they check you out? DavidLBernhardt.com. Love it and absolutely love catching up with you today. This was the 53rd Secretary of the Interior. He's last served during the Trump administration. Mr. David Bernhardt, thanks for joining us on the show. You bet. Have a good one. Thanks a lot, guys. What actual evidence do you have as opposed to allegations to show to the American public that would merit an actual impeachment inquiry of Joe Biden and prove that today isn't just about some of you? Oh, I don't know. McCarthy for the sake of enacting political revenge. Uh, this isn't about political revenge. We have the bank accounts. We can see, ma'am, you can see that the homes that the Bidens own 
can't be afforded on a, on a congressional or Senate salary. You also understand that it's not normal for family members to receive millions of dollars from overseas interests. Those things aren't normal. That's not normal to have 20 shell country, companies. These things are not normal, and it alludes to not only just widespread corruption, but money laundering, if not influence peddling itself. And we also have the president, the vice president at the time on record saying that the prosecutor was fired. Well, son of a bitch, the prosecutor was fired, right? Because the prosecutor was going after the, the company that his son was working on. That's what we have. If you can't see that, if you are, if you are that blunt, look, I'll turn it over to the attorneys. People can't see that. They I'll get the lawyers up here. Because you don't report on it. <laughs> You're not, We're here I don't reporting think, on it today. I'm not sure how you know what the American people think, but here's what they might wonder. Actually, if you're a federal prosecutor, you would be asking yourself, how can there not have been an indictment for a FARA violation against Hunter Biden? How can there possibly, I, my understanding and con, uh, discussions with staff have confirmed my impulse that this would be very much the, the basis of a foreign, of a, um, a, a foreign Corrupt Practices Act investigation, uh, given the circumstances that we know. The question is, you know, it's funny. After we come out of the events of for the, that John Durham, for example, testified to to our committees about how investigations proceeded through our investigative agencies without proper predication, it's not that you have to prove the case. It's not that you understand to this point, there's not been a single subpoena to a Hunter Biden bank account or a Joe Biden bank account or any other Biden family member's bank account. Because until an impeachment until an impeachment inquiry commences, that's not a jurisdictional possibility. Well, it would be stretching jurisdiction to do that. But there's ample predication at this point in time based on that very unusual set of circumstances, which is for no apparent payment for expertise or services rendered. Biden family members writ large received over twenty million dollars. That we, know now, of. that we know of. It is very simple for someone just to insist there's an absence of evidence. <laughs> but you, if you can look in the face of that and contend that, that's, you know, anyone has a right to their opinion what they. Well, at least everybody now gets a kind of a feel on how the media reacted to Kevin McCarthy launching the inquiry into Joe Biden for impeachment earlier this week. Um, it was reported right after Kevin McCarthy and Matt Gates got done giving dual statements, which we ended our. Tuesday edition of the show of this week that the Biden White House got their talking points out. If you plan on standing with President Biden and calling this a hoax and a witch hunt and there's no evidence that connects Joe Biden to any of his son's international business dealings, et cetera, et cetera. Make sure you hammer all the Republicans whenever that they're speaking events. And there you pretty much saw what it's going to look like for the duration. We'll, we'll get into it a little bit. It was great sitting down with Secretary Bernhardt again. Always a pleasure to have a cabinet-level position from the Trump administration. Join us on the show to get things kicked off. And happy Friday, everybody. Noah, hi. What's happening? He's tired and cranky. I'm just letting everybody know. <clears throat> there you go. But we did bring a little ray of sunshine today. We both actually grumbled at him because me and Noah aren't having it today. Author and supply chain expert Jim Nels, great friend of the show. He's been in studio today. He's out, but it sounds like he's here. He's joining us to do the news with... And we're really excited to have you, Jim. Welcome. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. It's going to be a fun day, and I'm going to bring some sunshine into your life and put smiles on your face. <laughs> <laughs> Jim, what's going on with you? It's always great to have you join us. 
I've been really, really busy uh, working on some new articles, trying to do a series on crime in the United States on how the top 10 cities are just just devolving into dystopian nightmares. So we'll see some stuff there. Got an article coming out Monday about the uh, Biden economy and Bidenomics and how it's driving more and more people into bankruptcy. Credit card debt is at an all-time high in the United States. And oh, by the way, the president's going to be impeached. The son is going to be tried. And now if you notice the Democrats, they're all saying, well, Hunter Biden's a private citizen. He has nothing to do with the president. And the president had no direct knowledge of his business dealings. So it's going to be a fun couple of more months. I'm going to call bullshit on that. (laughs) I think we all are. Well, we're going to get things rolling here. We're going to be talking about the fallout from the launch of the impeachment inquiry. We also have some breaking news over the last 24 hours. Hunter Biden's been indicted for the only charge that couldn't link him to his father criminally, Mm. the gun charges. You can tell where we're going with that one. And then on the back end of the show today, we know that Donald Trump sat down with Megyn Kelly for his first interview with her in over seven years. We've got a couple highlights from that. And then Donald Trump gets ready to meet the press this weekend for the first time in a long time. He's going to be sitting down with their new host, and they dropped a couple clips that just let you know which direction that's going to go in. Donald Trump's also at two different speaking events in Washington, D.C. today, one that's, you know, faith and family-based, another one that's like kind of women for America first. So if we hear anything that's pertinent, we'll grab it and throw it in the show. But, you know, we're, we're getting to, into this right now, and, and you'll be able to figure out by the end of the show. Right now, I don't know what you guys are. Betting-wise, I'm 49-51. Joe Biden is not going to be the nominee in the Democrat Party for 2024. That's where I'm at percentage-wise right now. Well, like they're just not going to select him? Well, that's the thing. Let's talk about this. So filing dates, today, September 15th, are one month away for the earliest states for the Democrats, and that's Nevada. Uh, remember, we played a clip on the show last week, Noah, where Gavin Newsom was asked about it, and he's like, oh, yeah, Joe Biden's definitely the nominee. We all know that that's not Ugh. true. So that's one thing that kind of throws a little bit of uh, gum in the gears of the DNC. But then there's also the nuclear option, which shows lack of party unity and the inability to circle the wagon, something the Democrats are not really known for. It's more of a Republican tactic. And that's what happens if this gets to the convention and they can get delegates to back out and reshuffle and all just kind of dump them into whoever they decide to hitch their wagon to. Because for some reason or another, looks like it might be criminally related at this point. Uh, Joe Biden just cannot be the nominee for the Democrat Party. There's you also, know, Rowan, I'm going to I'm going to push back on you a little bit here. Um, you know, I, I know that David Ignatius came out with his article saying that he shouldn't run. There was an op-ed in the New York Times saying that he's too old to do it. And let's face it, Joe Biden's older than dirt, right? But the people that are pulling the strings, as long as they can do a weekend at Bernie's with Joe Biden. Joe Biden will be the nominee because he is infinitely controllable by the deep state that wants to run the country. He will, as long as he has not started to decompose in front of us, he will be there. The only way that I see this going that where Joe Biden is not the nominee is if he decides that he's had enough, he wants to pardon his son, Hunter, he pardons Hunter, then gets on his horse and, you know, or his bike and rides into the sunset (laughs) until he comes to a stop sign and falls down. There you go. But, that's what's going to happen, I think. Um, there's no way any white candidate's going to come in here and try to usurp Kamala Harris. It just would look too bad. So if they want to put someone in front of Kamala, it's going to be Michelle. But I think as long as Biden is, can at least pretend to be alive, he's going to do it unless he decides to take the nuclear option and pardon Hunter. Here's the thing. I thought he was going to say as long as Michelle is. I don't know how much of a difference mm. it makes. 
But Hillary Clinton was back at the White House this week. Gross. And, you know, I'm hearing now, I don't know if you guys had saw, notorious proprietor of Everything's Fine, Don't Look Over Here, Ian Sams was also dispatched this week as well. I think there's a lot of pressure internally that, listen, they told Joe Biden this is going to be his show. He got elected in 2020 by some act of God, and everybody was like, holy shit, do you see what we did when he starts going out there and falling all over the place? Listen, Joe Biden, and, and we'll play the clip later, he says he was raised by Jews in the synagogues yesterday on the telephone. Man, that guy was raised by, by a, everybody. a plethora of individuals. Yes. And they're all he also taught he also taught political theory at uh, University of Pennsylvania, according to him. I'm, I'm just wondering, how cool is his life in his mind? He must have had like the best life ever. What goes through his mind on a daily basis? Because I would love to have the Joe, the life that Joe Biden thinks he had. Hey, listen, uh, you know, somebody wrote an article about that this week, and in the same breath said, "Joe Biden's not going to live to see the end of his next term." Let's all like be real. Like th that's where they're at right now. But I think when you start seeing these people that come out and try to smooth things over, in addition with having people like Hillary Clinton back in the White House, so. They told Joe Biden this was going to be a one-trick pony. And once you're in, you're essentially, like Jim said, you're the guy. As long as they could weekend at Bernie's me, I'm still the president. If I run and I have an election like I did last time, I'll get a second term. doesn't matter how dead I am. And I think there's a lot of people who are telling him, like, Joe, we got to turn it off. And he's like, I don't have to turn off anything. I'm the president. Mm -hmm. And I think his wife's doing the exact same thing, too. They want their moment yeah. in, in the spotlight and... They want to be able to smooth over the fact that Joe Biden was a racist retard for the entirety of his, you know, senatorial career. And then how do people argue against that fact? Well, and, <laughs> and then, I mean, Barack Obama called him a straight up dumbass so many times and mm -hmm. said he fucks everything up. You can't argue with that. That's his boss. But yeah, I think uh, the only the only hope to keep Joe out is actually if they just tell him he's already served two terms and that he can't <laughs> run for a third. You know what? That actually might work. Kevin McCarthy was up in the Capitol yesterday. He was talking to a gaggle of reporters who wanted to treat him the same way that they did uh, Scott Perry. Let's see if that went any better for the reporting crew who was trying to uh, get a gotcha moment. What impeachment inquiry is to do is to get answers to questions. Are you concerned about all the stuff that was just recently learned? Do you have any concern? <laughs> have you asked the White House any questions? Yes. Okay. Do you agree that do you believe like, the president lied to the American public when he said he never talked to his son about business dealings? Yes or no? It's all right. I can't answer that. You, you can't answer that? Do you believe when they said the president went on conference calls? Do you believe that happened? That's what the testimony says. Okay. Yeah. Do you believe the president went to Cafe Milano and had dinner with the, with the clients of Hunter Biden, who believes he got those clients because he was selling the brand? That's what the testimony okay. says. Okay. Do you believe Hunter Biden, when you saw the video of him driving a Porsche, that he got $140,000 to buy that Porsche the next day? Do you believe the $3 million from the Russian oligarch that was transferred to the shell companies that the Bidens controlled after the dinner from Cafe Milano took place? So the testimony. Okay, then I go back. Do you think the president lied that he... When but he is that an impeachable, is lying an impeachable well, you want You want to know, I'm not saying impeachment. All I'm saying is I would like to know, answer to these questions. The American public ought to know. So, mm. there was that. You don't have to yell and scream at them. You could just make them feel like the retards they are. It's going to be an uphill climb because here's the thing. For as much as Kevin McCarthy, we all feel, was willed into this decision, I don't feel like his heart's in it, to be honest with you. 
and he'd much rather go and haggle over appropriations. It's a shame that the 20 to 30 America First congressmen and women down there in the House of Representatives are the ones that are going to have to be able to hold the line on this, but it just seems like that's the case. What do you think, Jim? I think that it's going to be extremely, extremely interesting. And, you know, McCarthy is one of these guys that you love to hate. When you saw him announce that he was going to do the impeachment inquiry, he looked like he was making a hostage video, right? That he was reporting out that he was being held hostage. And then he comes out and does this to reporters. So, you know, again, I don't know what they're doing with McCarthy. I like this version of McCarthy. I didn't like Monday's version of McCarthy. And I certainly don't like the version of McCarthy that wants to do a continuing resolution. Yes. But I'll I'll take what I got yesterday from the man. Um, As long as you can keep reporters on the defensive and make them look stupid for not reporting the news and then agreeing with everything he said, I'm all for it. One of the biggest thorns in his side. It, it's ironic how, how much work this man's had to do just to get us to where we're at right now, which is talking about things. That's Florida Congressman Matt Gates. You know, him and Kevin McCarthy have been taking pot shots at each other behind closed doors and via the media over the course of the last two weeks. It got so bad yesterday that, you know, there was reports out of McCarthy's office that people were saying that he basically said if, if – if Matt wants to, you know, propose the motion to vacate, fucking tell him, let's do this. <laughs> and Matt Gates is like, sounds kind of deranged and unhinged. I just want to <laughs> talk about term limits and subpoenaing Hunter Biden. What's the big deal? That's where they're at right now. It's like you mad, bro. Yeah, the the cool kids <laughs> and the school bully are, are, you know, it's coming to a head at some point. Are we going to see like a Christmas story version of this, or is it going to be a little bit different? I don't know, but we'll have to see. You mean like? Joe Biden falls down and can't get back up because he's wearing a puffy jacket. Oh, Ralphie, your mom's coming. <laughs> <laughs> That's the other part of the movie. Yeah. Matt Gage jumped on Newsmax with uh, Eric Bowling yesterday and was talking about some of the way that the media is now kind of refocusing their weaponization towards those who are going to be investigating the Biden crime family. Let's check it out. A bunch of news services today received this memo from the White House from Ian Sam's, this, uh, this, I don't know who this hell this guy is. First time I've ever seen him. Kind He's of wacky looking guy. But for White House it's counsel. about um, calling you guys liars. And, and, and the operative line right here, Congressman, is that it's time for media to ramp up its scrutiny of House Republicans, you, for opening an impeachment inquiry based on lies. You want to respond to the White no. House? Well, clearly, I think what we can all agree on is that Matt Gates hasn't received enough media scrutiny. So certainly if the White House is there to, to dial that up, uh, I don't know what they're waiting for. But you know what this rang like, Eric? Remember back when the Hunter Biden disinformation letter came out? We had yes. the laptop that had all this evidence of corruption on it. And the White House and the Department of Homeland Security and the FBI, they were all trying to get media companies to censor it. And you see, this is that same play that they're running again. But now they want no coverage of the corruption of the bank records, of the travel logs, of the devices, of the communications, of the threats, of the bribes, all of the things that build the evidence uh, for this massive case that we have. They're trying to to really deter coverage by sending a threat from the White House. It's quite from the White House to media companies. I'm, you know, I, my pocket constitution, the left goes crazy when I pull this out. They think, uh, yeah, they hate it. They hate it. The same there's, violation, there's violations of the First Amendment in, that, in this letter, I believe. Mm. We'll keep it at that. Jim doesn't like it when Matt Gates refers to himself in the third person. Jim thinks that that's really, really bad. <laughs> you leave Matt Gates alone. He's got a. <laughs> that's going to be Governor Gates someday or Senator Gates, to be honest with you. <laughs> Bob Dole doesn't like this. <laughs> yeah, all right, Bob Dole, Dole likes Viagra, though. <laughs> I'm Bob Dole. <laughs> when you start to look at the media narrative and the evolution of 
this whole thing, it, it's great to reference that letter from the 51 former intelligence officials who said the Hunter Biden laptop was Russian disinformation. From day one, and this is going all the way back to the 2019 campaign, even when reporters were hammering him on the road and all the way up through and including the debates, Joe Biden did nothing wrong. There was no evidence that Joe Biden did anything wrong. There's no direct evidence connecting Joe Biden to do anything wrong. Now there is a lack of impeachable evidence that Joe Biden did anything wrong. And I can only assume at some point we'll get to there's a mountain of evidence and wrongdoing. However, Joe Biden did not know about it. And that's kind of where this media narrative is already going to because, you know, Joe Biden didn't know he was doing anything wrong. Yes. But you're, you're stopping one short. Joe Biden knew what he was doing was wrong, <laughs> but he just loves his son too much. Mm. And that's that's his biggest flaw is that he just cares too much about Hunter. And let's face it. Don't we all know someone who has a family member struggling with addiction? Can you really blame Joe for wanting to help his son? I didn't want to play the clip on the show. I talked about it at the at the top. And then, you know, Eric Bowling just referenced it to Matt Gates talking about Ian Sams, who's the official spokesman for White House legal counsel. He went into that piece on CNN saying like, hey, when all of these allegations are being made, that time frame is right around when Bo Biden died and Hunter Biden was struggling with drugs. Joe Biden called his son every day because he loved him, not because he was worried about his business dealings. And I'm just like, Mm-hmm. We don't have a garrison button big enough for that one. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny, somebody on, on formerly Twitter X this week. They zizzered us? Well, no, they were somebody was trying to stake claim to making fun of Lindsey Graham, and they made some kind of like deliverance reference or something, and I had, deliverance. To, had to go get the Scissor Me Timbers clip and put it in there. I said, hey, we have had the market cornered on Lindsey Graham since <laughs> day one. He's ours. We claim him. But getting back to this, it's just the evolution of where the talking points are going to go. We'll see how much that affects the actual case as it continues to, uh, you know, get inquiry-ish. I want to remind everybody that's listening to the show today, guys, you got to help us out. We need subscribers to the show. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio. Go to the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Hit the play button like you do every week. In addition to that, hit the subscribe button. It's usually a little check mark or a plus Helps us out in downloads. And just remember, all content is free. And then on social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts, follow us, and hit the notification bell. Helps us out big time, staying relevant in that ever-changing news cycle. Even my ex-wife likes and subscribes to this one. So come on, guys. Nice. Get it on. Got to do it. Thinking about setting a, a subscribe goal for us, but I, I haven't figured out how to just present it yet. Um, America First Congresswoman Nancy Mace for some reasons, decides to go on CNN regularly and wanted to talk about some of these bank records and other issues that all of the other networks are claiming doesn't connect Joe Biden to anything. Let's check it out and see what she was uh, dishing out there. There's a difference between an impeachment vote and an inquiry. The inquiry mm-hmm. would give us another tool in the toolbox specifically to look at Joe Biden's bank records. Everyone's screaming about the evidence. Where's the evidence? The bank records Caitlin hold Collins all of looks the evidence. And if aggravated. the American people, Caitlin, if you could see the suspicious Ooh, activity reports that I have seen on the Biden family, 
you would too would probably support an impeachment inquiry just as a tool to get more information on on specifically the bank oh. information, bank records of Joe Biden and his family members. That's an important tool in our toolbox. Why does there need to be an impeachment inquiry if there's already several my, ongoing investigations? Yeah, great question. My understanding is it <laughs> will question, give us bitch. access to Joe Biden's bank records. And if we can connect the dots and show the American people where the bribery allegations stand, where the money laundering stands, showing through vis-a-vis -vis the bank records, that is a way to do that. If you could see what I have seen, then we can't share the SARS reports because they're confidential and that would be against the law. So we have to prove it via other means, via the bank records, for example. If that gets us Joe Biden's bank records, then I'm going to support it because everyone should know what actually happened, what kind of businesses were involved, how Joe Biden was involved, the kind of money that was involved in these schemes is astounding. You would be shocked. I am appalled. Why didn't you tell Nancy Mace to stop and say that word over again that she just absolutely shredded. Sounds like she's had a little bourbon this morning. Well, here's the thing, though, with, with this whole thing, all right? And this is where the media is going to fall down. There's never going to be a check in a bank record that's, like, paid to the order of Joe Biden, signed by Hunter Biden, and in the memo it's going to say bribes from Burisma, right? Yeah. But <laughs> you can still benefit from your son's dirty dealings yes. without getting a check that says, you know, bribes from Burisma. I'll pay your mortgage. I will pay for your car. I will pay for your vacations. Those are all things that happen. What we'll start to see, though, is we'll see transfers from these shell companies into Joe Biden's bank account. But there's not going to be a check that says paid to the order of Uncle Joe, the big guy, you know, Burisma, Burisma bribery or anything like no, that. that here's your 10%. Truth. And we're never going to be able to prove that any of those pseudonyms that Joe Biden used over the course of the five-year span or burner phones that he used to, to apparently conduct or listen in on some of these business dealings were ever physically used by him. It's just not going to happen. It's just weird. It's like Jim said, we're not going to see, like, a check from Bribe Inc. coming in, but, okay, Joe Biden made, on average, $170,000 a year for 30 years. How does he have five homes, three of which are worth over $3.5 million? To quote Al Capone, he had a really, really good accountant. I like it. I wonder if he's got a bunch of stocks like most of the people in Congress do. They're probably in his garage. <laughs> he actually has stock certificates. He's that old. Yeah. yeah. He has the damn stock certificates in the banker's box on top of the uh, classified documents. That he's, got he the, he's got the better bonds. Getting ready to wrap this segment here. I've got just a couple more heaters for you. Actually, they're not. They're actually... I wish we had a fart noise, but <laughs> it's two clips from Hakeem Jeffries. We're not that podcast. House Minority Leader, unofficial title only. And don't worry, we're going to kick it up a notch in just a few minutes because former chief of staff to the DOD and uh, unofficial spokesman for Paps Blue Ribbon, Cash Patel, is going to be joining us. So Jeffries, after his I'll defend Joe Biden forever and ever and ever, ever clip on Tuesday, had another presser yesterday and was talking about, I don't know, just whining and believe it or not, they blame Donald Trump. <laughs> Let's hear it. I do believe it. We have responsibility uh, as members of Congress to make sure that we are funding the government to provide uh, for the health, the safety, and the economic well-being of the American people. And launching this illegitimate impeachment inquiry oh, is certainly God. a distraction. Instead of focusing oh. on doing the business of the American people, extreme MAGA Republicans oh. are doing the bidding oh. of their puppet master-in-chief, oh. 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 Donald Trump. That's a good one, though. Puppet master-in-chief. When Donald Trump <laughs> says, jump, and the extreme MAGA, MAGA Republicans say how high. 
leading the charge in this House Republican conference right now are extremists like Marjorie Taylor Greene and George Santos. You leave the they are alone. driving <laughs> the train right now in doing the that bidding, happens. of course, of Donald Trump. And it's unfortunate that we find ourselves in this situation. You know, it's funny. Their responsibility. <laughs> you know, it's funny that. Let's turn that guy off. He wouldn't drop Matt Gates' name, even though Matt Gates shit on him on the House floor the other day because he knows if he starts messing with Matt Gates, he's going to get the smoke. Be honest with you. When is the last time anyone linked retort. Marjorie Taylor Greene to George Santos, for God's sake? Wow, that was a jump. <laughs> hey, we respect King Santos on this show. I'm hoping that he does The View. Apparently, they've invited him again, and he put out a poll on his on his Twitter account yesterday. Should I do The View? It was like 75 to 25, <laughs> yes. Oh, that would be fantastic. All right, last clip here before we're jumping in with Cash Patel. And, you know, listen... The Democrats in the House who have no defense of these allegations right now, they're going to make this about a government shutdown. Please understand, if you're listening to the show, if politics isn't necessarily your forte, you don't understand how the Congress works. The appropriations that they're supposed to be working on now, and there's a deadline, the government shuts down in 15 days if we don't figure it out because, well, I guess those MAGA Republicans in the in the house they're not signing a continuing resolution and they're definitely not doing an omnibus i mean we've had half a dozen of them on the show over the course of the last month who said absolutely no way no how Mm -hmm. so they're gonna make the inquiry into joe biden and his uh corrupt business dealings all about maga republicans i'm air quoting wanting to shut down the government one has nothing to do with the other one is an investigation and the other one is congress can't fucking do their job there hasn't been a budget passed since, like, the late 90s. Just know that. Everything has been CRs and omnibuses. And this year will probably be like no other, even though it sounds like, you know, everybody's kind of hot and bothered. But I guess we'll have to see what happens. Last clip of Jeffries here, essentially alluding to impeachment means government shutdown. But the extreme MAGA Republicans are, again, focused on the wrong things. They're focused on shutting down the government, illegitimately pursuing an impeachment inquiry with respect to President Biden. Really? But the extreme... On a bus that's apparently driven by Marjorie Taylor Greene (laughs) and George Santos. Co-piloted by George Santos. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, at least we've got a new meme template there. Yeah. Listen, we're going to... This is... We're just at the very beginning of this, and... I think James Comer was on one of the cable news shows last night, and he was like, listen, from the time I left Congress today to the time I jumped on this interview, we found another pseudonym that Joe Biden used or a family member of Joe Biden used in regards to communicating with some of these entities that were dumping cash into their shell companies. He's like, that's how fast the information's coming. We all know people at the Department of the Treasury and NARA have been very reluctant. You're going to have to start issuing subpoenas at some point. I know Jim Jordan yesterday says he's got five on deck. Unfortunately, one's not for Hunter Biden yet, but hopefully we'll get there. It has to. Listen, there were no inquiries into Donald Trump when we were talking about impeachments. It was Nancy Pelosi said it was going to happen, and within 48 hours, they were ceremoniously walking those fucking papers from one end of the Capitol Rotunda to the other. And Donald Trump never got due process, he never got fair trial, and he got acquitted in both instances. So, you know, 
if they're going to try and say, we're going to take the high road and do this the right way, they need to fucking get everybody and anybody that had anything to do with this ensnared in it in and get receipts, period. You know, they're not going to get Hunter Biden's business partner anymore because that guy's in jail. But at least they got, like, the non-official record of testimony that he gave behind closed doors to, you know, the Republican House then. But... As always, we're going to continue to track this. They can't drag that guy out and just make him uh, testify? I don't know how. I mean, somebody literally said it on the news the other day. He's in jail now, so we're not going to get an official statement from him. Yeah, so. He's going to get shivved in the shower if that's a, if that's a potential. <laughs> well, don't drop the soap, mm. squirrel master. <laughs> we're getting ready to jump in with Cash Patel right now, but before we do that... Let's hear from one of our partners. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blowtorches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He's the former chief of staff to the DOD, served a little bit in the DNI, was a senior assistant to President Trump. Enjoys a full round of golf and a cold Pabst Blue Ribbon on the back nine. Mr. Cash Patel, thanks for joining us on the show today. Especially on a Friday afternoon in warm Southern California, which is, which is where I wish I was, but I'm stuck um, away from that oasis. Well, it's been a big week in the news after kind of a, a lull for the fuck. I think so. Well, <laughs> yeah. well, listen, we got to talk about the, the big thing first, and I'm not talking about the Joe Biden impeachment. I know that you're not yeah. a huge fan. We, we all know where that's going anyways, but the optics of the first mm-hmm. 9-11 in 22 years, Cash, where mm-hmm. as a sitting, acting, seated president who's not falling was not at any of the memorial sites, either in New York City, Washington, D.C., or rural Pennsylvania. We touched on it on our Tuesday edition of the show, uh, talked with a couple guests about it as well. But, you know, for someone who had been part of these ceremonies and served in the administration throughout the course of uh, Donald Trump's first term, when he did really a, a huge job to not only acknowledge what happened, but support for the first responders, the families of the uh-huh. victims, etc., it had to just absolutely crush you. That little bit of America first spirit you got left in there that Joe Biden continues to crush on a daily basis. It, it was it was awful. Not only did he not present himself in any of the the sites, but then he lied throughout the course uh-huh. of his you know two and a half minute speaking event where he said he was there the next day, and we all know that that wasn't true because he was on the Senate floor. Uh yeah, I mean, he desecrated the memories of the fallen, the heroes that served, the first responders, the cops, the EMTs, those men and women in uniform. Um, but most importantly, the desecration of those who lost their lives on the largest terrorist attack. And he opened up his remarks in Alaska yeah. with a joke on 9-11. This guy is a joke. And when you can't understand that you belong in the United States of America at ground zero on 9-11, and not off selling America's secrets to the Chinese, the Vietnamese, and anyone else at the G20 that'll give you the time of day because you have destroyed the American presidency. Um, this is what we're left with. We're left with a guy floating around at some base in Alaska, which I've been to and is really nice. I appreciate that he visited troops there. There's just other times to go to Elmo, and there's one day of the year where you go to a 9-11 site, and it's on 9-11. And this guy failed monumentally. 
And if that weren't bad enough, of course, he basically gave away America's bank account to the largest state sponsor of terror on 9-11 and agreed to another disastrous deal with the Ayatollah. And uh, these morons in the Biden administration thinks they can be the global police chiefs of, of, of money around the world when we can't even find where our money is going in the Ukraine. This guy is an utter disaster. Um, and the 9-11 spectacle, as I wrote on Truth Social, I used to uh, say you must respect every commander in chief. No more after that day. Joe Biden is the worst human being in United States history. He's a treacherous troll and needs to be removed from the roles of government forever. And ever. You know, uh, I do want to stay in that thread, Cash. You did mention the, the, the Iran deal that kind of went under the radar because obviously uh-huh. it was 9-11. Uh, it, it found its way to a lot of cable news shows, uh, you know, rolling ticker. But prisoner exchange, obviously Iran's getting back people that they want. We're getting some activist prisoners back who were, you know, causing a, a you know, fuss over there in Iran when they were eventually detained and jailed. But I think the there there is the between five and six billion dollars that Joe Biden and his administration uh, unfroze and is, is sending back to, as you mentioned, the largest state sponsor of terrorism in the world. Now, for someone like yourself who knows his way around the defense community, when you hear that a country like the United States is just going to gift Iran with six billion dollars, what's the first kind of alarms that go off in your head? Well, only Joe Biden could take that size of a dump on America, our flag, and our heroes, and do it also on the day that we're supposed to honor everybody that is 9-11. Only Joe Biden could go out and give away $6 billion to the largest state sponsor of terror and actually believe that his boondoggle is going to go for humanitarian and peaceful purposes. And we have the uh, President Raisi of Iran coming out the next day saying, we will use the $6 billion for whatever we freaking want. And that's literally what he said. But don't worry, Joe Biden says we have the ability to police that money. He can't police any money. He, I mean, he knows how to hide money he gets from China illegally in the Ukraine. He's mastered <laughs> that criminal act. I like but, but. It's it's tragic. I remind your audience, you know, under Trump, we, we were a part of the retrieval of 54 American hostages from dozens of countries around the world. We did not give them the merchant of death. We did not give them high level Iranian operatives that were going to be prosecuted here in America. And we certainly didn't give them six billion dollars. And we need to remind people that the IRGC, a terrorist organization whose Quds Force is a special forces operation in Iran, uh, literally exists solely to crush American interests and American allies overseas. And they're responsible for the most military casualties in the U.S. military in modern U.S. history. And we just gave them a check for $6 billion. But don't worry, Joe Biden thinks they're just going to use it to make sure the people of Iran are fed well. I mean, this is how not just bad his presidency is, but the media is letting him get away with it. And finally, even some of the mainstream media are catching on to say, what are we going to give away next? And how many more American hostages are now going to get taken now that these uh, criminals and terrorists overseas know that this president will literally give them a multi-billion dollar payday? 
and their high value targets back. That I think that's one of the you mentioned the merchant yep. of death. I, that, that's something that everybody forgets. That guy's alive and well, and and you know operating in, in the same context he did before he was you know captured and detained by the United States. So Congress reconvened fully this week. The Senate was back in session last week, and they had some. I mean, I'm pretty sure you saw Senator John Kennedy's reading of the uh, inappropriate children's books uh, that are that are being read in the schools right now. That made for a good after credit on our Tuesday edition of the show. Uh, but the House reconvened, and it seemed after enough prodding and arm twisting and posting on social media, some of the the small delegation of America First House Republicans have been able to, I guess, urge. Speaker McCarthy to begin the opening of an inquiry into impeaching Joe Biden eventually. Uh, I know you're not a huge fan of this because Joe Biden's an empty suit, and regardless of who's in the White House, the people that control him are going to tell who's ever sitting in his chair if and when he's removed exactly what to do like they do to him now, and it's going to be probably equally as, as embarrassing. But the fact of the matter is, Cash, that I mean, you worked in the intel community as well you know there's a lot of gray area in this. We know that there's Shell's accounts and diamonds and payments and oligarchs all involved, you know, burner phones and uh, emails using fake names. But when you really get into this, and, and I know you're not privy to the investigation, but you, you've, you've seen stuff, you know, when you served. Are the House Republicans going to be able to really tie physically Joe Biden to some of this stuff? Or is this more of like a Hunter Biden was kind of using the, the at the time, vice president's office as like a human ATM machine and, and you know, pay for play and, and influence peddling while Joe Biden was the vice president under Barack Obama? What do you think? It's like any other criminal case involving fraud. You almost never get a videotape of the criminal confessing his crimes and directly tying himself to the crime. That's what criminals do. They cover up their crimes. And to hear the fake news mafia out there saying there's no direct evidence of Joe Biden, of course there's no direct evidence because this guy is a career criminal. And what they do is they cover up their crimes. That's what the FBI and DOJ are doing for Joe Biden. Now that he's created a two-tier system of justice, he's exploiting that system under Ray and Garland. And the mainstream media is carrying his water. We have $20 million of money flowing from overseas illicit operations from China, Ukraine, and elsewhere to the Biden crime family syndicate. Joe Biden's salary goes from like half a million dollars one year to $5 million the next. And he's living in homes that cost 4x his overall value. Where do you think the money goes? That's literally what criminals do to hide ill-gotten gains is buy real estate, get in family involved siphon out the money, come up with, quote unquote, um, charitable endeavors where they just leech this money out of the illicit origin and put it in a bank account or investment fund or real estate or dirt deal somewhere. They have enough evidence. The question is, during this impeachment, if it will ever begin, um, because Congress has found a way to move slower than the speed of smell, is basically... Are they going to subpoena anyone? Yeah. Are they going to subpoena Garland and Ray, the two guys that are breaking the law by by not producing documents under subpoena relevant to Joe Biden's inquiry about, you know, being a criminal overseas? If they haven't enforced a single subpoena to debate, I don't have much faith that they're going to go out and get those guys. Are they going to make them testify under oath? Are they going to haul them in? Are they going to get Blinken? Are they going to get Hunter? Are they going to get Joe? 
Are they going to take the whistleblower's testimony and seriously protect them? Are they going to call the IRS in and, and find out why this uh, crime spree has allowed to occur for a decade plus? I mean, if the answer is yes to every single one of those questions, then maybe we got a chance and we, the American people, are owed the answers. But this is going to turn into a political spectacle and if it hasn't already, and if the political pinata is going to be Joe Biden, when what we need, the American public needs, are the receipts of corruption so that another election isn't rigged by the radical left machine. And if you think they're not working on it already, you're out of your mind. They're probably on the 22nd iteration of it, and the Republicans are paying catch up on number three. No, you, I mean, listen, you look at the last couple elections, especially uh, all of the ones involving President Trump and then some of the you know, high value candidates that ran in the 2022 midterm election cycle where they were still kind of dragging their feet with all the covid bullshit cash. It makes complete sense. And then when you just look at optically, you know, I, I kind of think there was a reason Joe Biden wasn't in New York City or Washington, D.C. or Pennsylvania on 9-11. You know, and I think there was a reason why Kamala Harris was out there and why Gavin Newsom has been doing a lot of TV spots. They have mm-hmm. to have so many plan B's and C's and D's, like you said. You know, this is this is not a drill. Uh, we're, we're reaching zero barriers for, you know, Joe Biden... Uh, will go past some of these deadlines where you have to register in states to be on the ballot. But if he removes himself from the election cycle, that kind of opens it up to some new rules and allows for other people to come in. So where time is short, it's still pretty finite when you talk about, you know, the first primaries and caucuses are just about four and a half months away. So it, it, it makes for a really interesting news cycle, and I do like the fact that you continue to hammer on people like Christopher Ray and Merrick Garland who have turned our justice system and our federal law enforcement upside down to where they're nearly unrecognizable to where political opponents of the opposition party are completely targeted and ran through the mud. I mean, you, you had to see it this week, Cash. There was a couple more people who weren't even either in Washington, D.C. or didn't enter the Capitol on January 6th who received decades-long prison sentences. Uh-huh. What are we doing here? We are allowing the destruction of our justice system by Gray, Ray and Garland, and we are allowing it to spread to the judicial branch where uh, Trump-appointed judges and other conservative ju- so-called jurists are going along with the January 6th charade to over-persecute and over-prosecute these individuals who didn't commit serious offenses in the first place because they don't want to be the ones to quote-unquote let the insurrectionists go. They want that narrative out there in the mainstream media, and this way the mainstream media will be able to say Donald Trump is an insurrectionist, his people were convicted, and now quote-unquote they're trying to convict him um, in all of the bogus indictments brought by the state and federal prosecutors running their two-tier system of justice. America is starting to see through it, but the problem is the last check we had with the judges in this country, that's now gone, and Congress needs to start impeaching the judges that they put up for lifetime appointments that refuse to follow the Constitution, that refuse to say it is your fundamental free speech right under the First Amendment to say so-and-so won the election. You can say it from now until the end of time. It is not a criminal act. And they have criminalized what people view um, as their decision on voting day. And that is a precedent that is the deadliest to democracy next to this two-tier system of justice. So they're the ones allowing it, and the mainstream media is cheering it on, and the target is us and our republic at the end of the day. That's it right there. People can either jump in and get involved or 
watch uh, the Democrats and the radical left light it on fire. Yeah, make the United States look like the best Rome it's ever looked like at the end, of course. You know, you talk about these judges' cash, and, and you make a really excellent point. They'll go through the case. The jury will deliberate. They'll give a verdict to the judge. And the night before sentencing, the judge's clerks will go over to the lawyers of the defendants and say, hey, just to let you know, we've got our disposition. We've, you know, they've reached a verdict. You're going to be sentenced. And the judges decided to add terrorism charges to that, which is just yeah. like, you know, double jeopardy. You go from serving maybe like a year or two in prison for, let's just say, property destruction. I'm not referencing any specific instance, but then add 10 years to that with the terrorism charge. It's like over a decade of your life completely washed out for, you know, hopping over a bike rack on January 6th. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And, and, and if the terrorism enhancement is on the books for, you know, actual terrorists Yeah, and having prosecuted those guys and asked the courts to enhance people's sentences based on acts of terrorism and acts of actual domestic terrorism, they have diluted that legal standard and principle that applies to the most egregious of circumstances and applied it to a wide swath of the American population yep. because they disagreed with the individual that those individuals were uh, putting forth as their president. That's it. Uh, some of them committed some heinous acts and need to be punished appropriately. But 1,100 defendants have been charged. 600 have been sentenced. 400 almost have been sentenced to incarcerative sentences yep. by these judges, mostly in Washington, D.C., for events around surrounding January 6th. And the only person that can come in and clean that up and commute a large portion of these sentences, President Donald Trump, uh, which is something he's talked about doing for some of the January 6th folks um, if he is elected again. And I think it's, it's right for him to say that. It's right for there to be a review of many of these instances of conduct. It's right for certain people to be commuted in certain instances because some of the sentencing has been overly harsh. I dealt with that personally sure. as a public defender when individuals, especially minorities, were launched. Um, to incarcerative sentences so improportionate that who? Donald Trump came in and issued a reform in the Criminal Justice Act um, to reduce the sentences of people who are disproportionately launched um, to prison time. And I think um, some of the folks from January 6th deserve the same treatment. Absolutely. You know, you mentioned President Trump, Cash. He had an amazing weekend last week where he rocked South Dakota with Governor Christy Nome. I like the optics there. I even saw some mm -hmm. Trump Nome signs in the, in the crowd. I, I don't <laughs> not like it. I actually kind of like it a lot, to be honest with you. You want to talk about someone who uh, actually did all the things, uh, some of the beat up candidates like Ron DeSantis, uh, you know, alleged that he did during the pandemic. And, and Christy Nome went above and beyond to keep her state open and free and all the other stuff that everybody said they did as they try to rewrite history in this presidential election cycle. Uh, then, you know, Iowa. Can't beat it. Donald Trump shows up at a few frat parties. He's throwing football. He's you oh, know, yeah. signing autographs and, and very well received. Uh, you know, this week he's got a couple speaking events coming up today. He's actually going to be addressing the Women's Leadership Summit in Washington, D.C., and then he's going to be bouncing over to the Family Research Council Annual Summit. This is one of the big things that we've talked about on the show and, and, and what's been like an added piece of weaponry to Donald Trump's campaign that he didn't really have in 2020 because of all the stupid COVID stuff. You know, he would have his rallies, but it was these individual intimate speaking events where he would get endorsements and then be able to, you know, physically interact with the people who are running the ground game for him in a lot of these states. How important is that, that Donald Trump has become that touchable candidate again now in, in 2023 that he wasn't able to be in 2020 because of the how stupid the 
media and, and the opposition party was, you know, using the pandemic uh, weaponized against him as he tried to run for reelection the first time. Well, that's why you see so much of the liberal left talking about bringing the pandemic back, bringing the COVID rules back, bringing the mask back, mandates, vaccine, school prohibitions and everything else back, because they want to be able to buy the presidency again uh, through the likes of George Soros, where they go out there and they have Facebook and company buy up all of the um, machinery behind the voting across this country just so they can rig it against Donald J. Trump because they know they can't beat him in person, they can't beat him on policy, and they cannot beat President Trump's tremendous record during his first presidential term. And that now President Trump is able to sell to the American public in person, and there's no better communicator, there's no better person in the media, and there's no better debater than President Trump. And you don't have to take our word for it. There is uh, 70,000 Iowans that went absolutely ballistic when President Trump was flipping burgers and tossing footballs at an Iowa State football game. And I think Ron DeSantis had three hecklers following him around <laughs> the same game. So the math speaks for itself. The individual's abilities speak for themselves. And the only thing the Democrats can do to shut down President Trump is to gin up yet another iteration of COVID and shutdowns and lockdowns and mandates and try to win this thing um, based um, in the matrix rather than in the real world where President Trump dominates. Yes, he certainly does. Cash, last thing I want to touch with you on, it's something we always talk to you about uh, when you come on the show. Obviously, we like to promote all the great works that you've been doing. I'm, I'm pretty sure the book's been a hit. And uh, congratulations on finally getting your government gangsters manifesto out there. And then uh, anything that's going on with the organization, give us a little update and tell us where we could find everything at. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah, government gangsters is finally releasing in less than two weeks. It's going to the show. It's going to print. Uh, the Biden administration has tried to shut us down. It Let's go destroy the deep state together. That's the whole point of the book. And I name every government gangster and how we resolve our... Uh, agencies and departments to return working for the American people and stop being weaponized and rigging elections. Um, it's not a Democrat or Republican thing, and a lot of people are going to hate what's in there. I know the Biden administration does. They tried to block 99% of it for 10 months, and we won. Um, and the rest, you know, we're, keep, we're still doing the great work at the Cash Foundation. Check it out at thecashfoundation.com. Uh, we're giving away tens of thousands of dollars a month to not just January 6th families in need, but kids who want to go to summer camp or get an education, we endowed a scholarship. We're helping veterans. We're helping active duty service members. We're helping people who need legal defense funds for whatever. Um, so the great work of the Cash Foundation continues. And we've got some brand new merch coming out. So mm. check it out. All the money goes right back to the foundation. It's a 501c3. Um, I'd love to see. Maybe we'll do a, a T-shirt for Silver Spoon Dan Goldman and his baseless attack on me <laughs> for uh, helping whistleblowers who bravely came forward with the truth. I actually like that idea. Maybe we'll do that. I did refer him to DOJ criminally and to the ethics community for, for lying about the Cash Foundation. That guy is every bit of a weasel as Adam Schiff is. And uh, I just got a new T-shirt idea. This is great. Hey, listen, we got breaking news on Steak for Breakfast. In addition to all the fire commentary that you provided today, Cash, we're going to live link, obviously, the uh, the pre-order for the book and the foundation in the show description today. There's only one place to find you on social media. What could we live link there as well? Cash, at Cash, at K-A-S-H on Truth Social. It is on absolute fire. As President Trump says, it's hot as a pistol. And now the mainstream media is coming over to Truth Social because they know you're only getting President Trump 
in one place. That's it. Rocking and rolling on Truth Social with all of us. Come Absol- on over. Absolutely love it on this Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Listen, this guy wore a lot of hats during <laughs> President Trump's time in the White House. He's also a great friend of the show. Mr. Cash Patel, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, boys. Have a great weekend. You too. He's making these claims without demonstrating any evidence. Republicans, like everyone else in the world, have not presented any evidence and apparently not found any evidence. Republicans haven't been able to point to any wrongdoing that they don't have enough evidence or any evidence for that matter. Again, we need to say that up until this point, House Republicans, including the ones pushing the impeachment inquiry, have not presented any evidence. There is no evidence. No evidence that we have seen yet. There is no evidence to support that the president did anything wrong. You know, I know the House is beginning an impeachment inquiry. Um, I haven't heard any allegation of something that would rise to the level of a high crime or misdemeanor. I think it would be very unusual to actually see a referral of impeachment. I I don't expect that to happen. Uh, They can inquire uh, and see if there's evidence that that shows something else. I don't think they'll find that. I don't know. But there's been no allegation of that. And any any uh, uh, hint of that has been denied by the president. So I, I'm not expecting that to occur. Hey, Coach here. I just came from a meeting with Congressman Jim Jordan and Congressman James Comer. And for the first time here in the Senate, most of us just sat down and listened as they laid out the case against President Joe Biden and his son, Hunter Biden. You know, I am absolutely shocked but by the scale of the allegations and the strength of the evidence. We ought to be ashamed. Our media ought to be ashamed. Our institutions should be ashamed of what's gone on for the last four years without being investigated. I commend Speaker McCarthy for him moving forward with the impeachment inquiry. You know, I don't like impeachments. You know, it holds back our country, but in this case, it needs to happen. The American people deserve the truth. Bank records and extensive evidence show that the Biden family received $20 million in cash, diamonds, and sports cars from China, Russia, Ukraine, Romania, and other foreign entities. Joe Biden was directly involved in this foreign influence peddling scheme, and when Biden's son demanded $5 million in cash from a Chinese official, he wrote, I'm sitting here with my father. Congress has a duty to the American people to protect taxpayers from this type of foreign corruption. He seems to be implying that you are not doing these things for the reasons you say, but that you were requesting or perhaps through other people requesting some special handling or or, or treatment in the ethics complaint. You're saying that's a lie tonight. That That is an abject lie from a sad and pathetic man who lies to hold on to power. He lied to get power in January when he made this agreement, and he's lying now about the basis for breach. And you know what? Eventually, the lying has to come to an end, and the votes are going to start on a motion to vacate. Uh, I certainly hope that instead of that path, the Speaker comes into compliance on term limits, balanced budgets, and single-subject spending bills. And guess what? If yep. that happens, there will be no motion to vacate, which would which would totally cut against his argument that this is somehow about an, an ethics matter of like the lies of yesteryear. Well, well, Congress has been busy this week, to say the least. What is it, the single subject? Or is that what it was? Single subject? Uh, Appropriation bills. Yeah. I don't see how anybody could be against that. I, I want government to be less it, just 
it's, I, I want it it's to be, hard to it's hard to grift when you're only focusing on one thing, man. Yeah, you got to put as much crap in there as possible. Yeah, dilute those to the point where you can actually tell what the fuck is going on. You know, and I, then the American people know what they're doing. I know Jim's heard. I'm not sure if Noah has yet, though. Did you know Congress is going to get a stern talking to next week? A oh, stern talking to? A strongly worded rant? Mm-hmm. About? Everybody's favorite. Modern-day Winston Churchill. <laughs> Vladimir's coming back. Oh. Is he going to threaten uh, to set all his uh, subjects in motion, his, his operatives? I can only imagine. Well, here's the thing. I mean, the good thing is we'll be able to tell because they're all going to be wearing fucking green sweatsuits. <laughs> Did you see the video of his tranny spokesperson saying that there's going to be hell to pay come next week? No, he has a tranny spokesperson? Yeah. Like an yes, actual he tranny? does. Yep. An American tranny spokesperson. Mm-hmm. Well, that was on purpose. Yes. She, she, he, it said that there will be gnashing of teeth as those who are Putin puppets come to heal next week when Ukraine goes after them. So we'll see what happens. That sounds like a sentence that should have been said while you were wearing a leather hat. I just can't wait to ask Colonel McGregor what he thinks about <laughs> Zelensky coming to, you know, finger wag and scold Congress next week. <laughs> if you think you he brings a tin cup or just like bank account, his business card just has a bank account number on it. Of course, grand old <laughs> Venmo. Here, here, here's, here's my routing number. Here's the ACN. <laughs> What was the movie where the the girl becomes like a famous lawyer in, in Washington D.C.? She was like the airhead, and she becomes a lawyer. Legally Blonde. Yeah. <laughs> so grand old memes I saw. He had the the picture of like. I'm embarrassed. I know that by the way. Full body <laughs> so with the heels walking in front of like you know Washington D.C. with all the Gucci bags and stuff like that. But he didn't put Zelensky's face on her. So. I think Zelensky should do what uh, that that one Democrat running for office in Virginia does: get on one of those porn websites, and I'll do this to get cash or F sixteens. <laughs> Wouldn't put it past him. Give me the money, or the asylees will revolt. You have no idea how expensive a chateau is in the south of France. True right? story. Hey, listen, those Ukrainian pensions aren't going to pay themselves. They're not. <laughs> We're paying them. Yes. Good catch. Much like Hunter Biden was caught yesterday up in uh, Delaware where he was indicted on charges for illegally purchasing a firearm, lying on the paperwork because he was dealing with his crack addiction when... That's the only thing that we're going to get out of him, I think. And, and after he dumped it, dumped the, dumpster. <laughs> dumped the gun in a garbage can... Near an elementary oh, school. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't, don't put that on him. That, that was, was his wife. His, ex, his dead brother's wife, who was then his girlfriend, who did that. But they, his, but because they said, it's, very, it's very normal to go stick your brother's dead brother's wife after he's dead and in the ground. Totally normal. They blamed Even it in on, the family. They blamed it on an illegal alien first. In case really? you get, yes. What? Yes. Doesn't he know that's a no-no right now? Don't you mean undocumented immigrants? Don't no, you mean accidentally present? Stop it. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> you know it's getting real bad down here in southern california yesterday on the news i saw four buses containing 450 illegal aliens men women and children were brought from the border to the middle of san diego and just let off the bus these migrants didn't know what to do where to go Asked the people that were kicking them off the bus to please help them, and then started going into stores. And shoplifting? No, asking the people, like, how do I get to Chicago from here? 
Jeez. Chicago's closed, <laughs> people. Can't come here. Yeah, We're done. Besides, it's starting to get. It's already snowing in Chicago. So those of you from South America and Mexico, you don't want to come here at all. Hate, just, yeah. just stay in South. Stay in San Diego. It's much nicer down there. It's and if warm. You, yeah. If you people stay. are friendly. <laughs> No, we're not. If you show up in San Diego, just make a left on Martin Luther King. You'll be fine. <laughs> oh, it's going to be ugly. I love, though, how now you've got Eric Adams, America's greatest <laughs> mayor, saying that New York is going to be destroyed. But then you have the Biden administration attacking him for having no exit strategy for all the immigrants that are coming into the city because they can't control the border. It's the it's a quintessential circular firing squad with these people. Yeah, they it's dumped, hilarious to watch. They dumped 20,000 illegal children into the inner city school districts of New York City. You forgot unvaccinated. Yeah. Oh, they yeah. don't have to be vaccinated. Oh, yeah. first, unvaccinated, what, 30, 60 days? Unscreened, unvetted, you name it, it hasn't happened for them. And not even just unvaccinated for shit that they don't really need, like the COVID vaccine. Oh, there's our warning. Mm. Like, not vaccinated for stuff that, I mean... TB? To all... All the fun For stuff. all intents and purposes, the general majority of public thinks that that's a good vaccination to have. Yeah. My my favorite Adams <laughs> meme is the one where it's like when you finally, when you get uh, the illegal migrants you've been wanting and it's him morphing into Vineyard for American History X. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, here's the thing. And I'm sure Jim could attest because he lives in a city where they just did this exact same thing uh, up in Chicago. Eric Adams has been an absolute fucking disaster. Guaranteed when his term is over, they will elect somebody worse. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, so. yeah. It's It still isn't bad enough yet. I mean... Well, maybe Hunter we Biden will that, need a job. You know what? At least he'd be coked out enough of his mind that he couldn't get anything stupid done. He'd just yeah. sit there. Good story. I mean, when all you care about are, are cars, hookers, and blow, you don't have time to run a city, which would be fine. Yeah. But... I mean, think about this. When when Beetlejuice didn't even make it to the runoff in Chicago, we all thought things were going to get better. Oh. But no. What did we do? <laughs> we went and found, hey, let's get a socialist whose plan to raise money for the city is called First We Get the Money. That's his plan. And it's just tax every person in the city who has any disposable income so that they leave. Yeah, sounds great. They, they put like the 50 most wanted in Chicago out by the local office of the FBI this week. I saw it on, on Twitter. And I don't know what everybody was, but I can 100% guarantee there wasn't a white person on that list. Mm. And then the first comment on the post was like, white nationalism strikes again. <laughs> <laughs> we take some money. Yeah, it's just, it's silly. Much like this indictment that went down yesterday. Guess what? No mugshot for Hunter Biden because where he was processed, unless it's like some vicious ridiculous crime they generally don't release those to the public weird so weird well i i, do I you think feel he like took his mugshot in his underwear and a pink scarf wearing yeah. sunglasses a lot of the memers made it seem that way i feel like his mugshot would have not been cashed in on as much no i don't think anybody's gonna care about hunter biden's mugshot he's, already, he's already got enough of awkward photos he's also suing uh garrett ziegler who heads the marco polo group and put out the hunter biden laptop you know, Wait, he's suing somebody for putting out the laptop that he still maintains isn't his? Yes, that is exactly what the, what the case is. That seems like a poor strategy. Well, let's see how it works out for him, Cotton. CNN was 
kind of parroting the same narrative yesterday as the news broke across the newswire. Let's hear it. The Internet is littered with images of the president's son engaging in what I think most people would say are depraved acts. Um, She's talking about He Skittles went through penis. a time clearly in his life uh, where he was heavily addicted to drugs. Uh, he was engaging uh, with prostitutes. He was holding weapons, posing for photos during all of this. Those are all over the Internet. But sometimes it's easy to conflate those photos, right, with right. the evidence that criminal prosecutors believe can be proved beyond uh, a reasonable doubt in going. a court of law. And after investigating for five years, they were only willing to sort of engage in a plea deal for tax charges mm -hmm. and potentially gun charges that a lot of experts have suggested would not necessarily be brought against just anyone. They are yeah. not commonly brought and that his team believes could not be proved beyond a reasonable doubt. So there's no doubt that this is a deeply flawed person. Um, and, and there are photos everywhere that politically most voters would look at that and say, of course this guy must have done something wrong. Ew! But when prosecutors had five Ew, years Skittles to investigate penis. a Trump-appointed prosecutor, this is what they came up with. Tax charges right. and a gun charge. There's a difference between scandal and crime. Exactly. Uh, 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 Got to slide that one in there because that's the talking point. You're going to tell me that the ATF, the fucking fun police, don't generally go after people for lying on a background check form for a gun purchase and then subsequently having that gun discarded in a dumpster by an elementary school? Mm. Yeah, I was going to say two points on this. One is about the gun thing. So if anyone has ever legally purchased a firearm, you fill out that form, and I the person not. behind the counter is like, you better be damn sure that you're telling the truth on this because the government doesn't like to be lied to. And if they find out that you're lying, you're going to jail. Yeah, I mean, you're they're host. very, very adamant about that, right? So that's, that's number one. But number two, and I've said this before, if I have three days of my life to spend in Las Vegas – I want Hunter Biden to be my wingman. Can you imagine what a weekend in Vegas would be like with Hunter Biden? The, the blow, the hookers, the guns, the videos. It would be the most amazing weekend in the history of weekends. You'd have to have done it while, before he was on the radar, though, back when he was... The, the, I don't know. The, I, I think now, man, bomber. you could even have more fun with it because now you're going VIP, right? You're getting behind the velvet rope. Yeah, but there's going to be too many of his handlers that are worried about him doing something more stupid to... Oh, apparently he's, he's able to leave his handlers when he's wandering around China by himself. I can bet you he can figure it out in Las Vegas. Yeah, I guess that's true. Good point. Those kids aren't going to human traffic themselves. <laughs> Jesse Waters was... <laughs> hey, listen. <laughs> we got to bring the factual analysis here. That's the impactful commentary you're only going to get on Steak for Breakfast. Ouch. That was, that was rough. <laughs> hey, I said Skittles penis like five times and you guys yeah, still haven't laughed. Doing it. Really? He doesn't do it anymore? Nah. The man put like 10 Skittles down his penis and had prostitutes eat them off. That's only because they couldn't fit 20 like me. <laughs> Jesse Waters yeah, was yeah. on Fox News yesterday, and he didn't really differentiate between scandals and crime. He wanted to kind of outline just exactly what Hunter Biden is in for. Let's check it out. Hunter Biden has been indicted on gun charges. A Colt Cobra 38 special was illegally mm. purchased, then dumped in a dumpster next to a school. It was lost. And the Bidens blamed lost. an illegal alien. See? Count one. Lying on a gun form. He said he wasn't addicted when he was. Count two. Making false statements to a gun dealer. Again, lying about his drug addiction. And count three for owning a firearm while on drugs. <laughs> Hunter's facing a maximum prison sentence of 25 years oh, and a three-quarter million dollar fine. Democrats have run on gun control for decades, and now that Hunter Biden's been charged with gun crimes, Democrats don't care, as long as it doesn't hurt Biden's re-election. The Justice Department charges have nothing to do with the president. 
Hunter Biden is a private citizen. Oh, he is not the president of the United States. It sounds like a prosecutor appointed by Donald Trump, kept by Joe Biden to investigate his own son, has found that there's no wrongdoing that Joe Biden did. He's so, there, Fang Fang. Um, what would Fang Fang say about this, I wonder? These charges don't matter. This gun case will be dragged out until after the election, yep. allowing the attorney general to say he can't talk about ongoing investigations and allow Hunter to plead the fifth if subpoenaed. This is the only crime that doesn't involve Joe Biden, and it's the only one that's being prosecuted. Think about that. Weird. This just lets the Justice Department save face and say, see, take us seriously. We're holding Hunter accountable. And then he'll just cut another deal after the election or get pardoned. But the Democrats' defense is getting gashed. Today, they've been forced to admit that Hunter Biden's business partner was Joe Biden's accountant that. when he was vice president. And this just in. Joe Biden had lunch at the vice president's residence with Hunter's Kazakhstani business partners. You remember the guys that bought him a Porsche after they had dinner with Biden at Cafe Milano? And the Kazakhstani who had the brunch with Biden? Oh, he's in prison for treason. Wonder how Joe likes his eggs. <laughs> Danny Thomas style. There you go. Hey, I just had a brilliant idea. If, if I'm Trump, I come out with a press release right now or a true social post that says, if elected, I will 100% certainly pardon Hunter Biden for all of his crimes because we all know how much parents have to love and support their children. And just put that out there and make the left's heads explode. This is the tale of a father's love. We'll be sure to ask President Trump if uh, he ever does make it to steak for breakfast. That exact question there. I want to remind everybody, wherever you're listening to the show today, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or iHeartRadio, please make sure you subscribe to the show. We enjoy having our show posts shared on social media 90,000 times. However, nice. we would much more appreciate 90,000 downloads. It's not that hard. Doesn't take up that much space. And once you download it, you could just delete it. But listen, if we're bringing you the news, allow us to bring it to you in the downloadable form. Also on social medias, Twitter, Getter, True Social, and Instagram. Find the Steak for Breakfast accounts. Hit the notification bell once you follow us. Congressman Byron Donalds, who we like to introduce on the show as 6'2", 275 pounds, African-American. Ain't scared of shit. Was bringing the heat on MSNBC yesterday. Glad that we got here. Took too fucking long to get here, though. Mm -hmm. Let's check it out. What's your take on the charges today? About damn time. I don't know what took the Department of Justice so long. Why did um, you think it happened five years, years ago when President Trump was president? Well, first of all, I can't speak to that because the attorney general at the time, Bill Barr, and his team was looking at this. They sent this to David Weiss, who was the person looking into this. And by the way, the Department of Justice is in violation of their own regulations, because if you do bring in a special counsel, they're supposed to come in from outside of the government. That's Department of Justice regulation. I digress. At the end of the day, this has been a slow walked investigation. It has serious issues about what's going on at Maine Justice. And that's why I say about damn time, because the facts were <laughs> crystal clear for years. But David Weiss and whoever's working under him with his team were not pursuing this in the way that should have been resolved. True story. That's it. We're, we're nearing six years of total investigation here. You've got FARA violations, you've got tax violations. You've got some of the most corrupt things ever to, you know, be inflicted on the office of the vice president of the United States and, and probably dating all the way back to his senatorial days for Joe Biden. And the only thing you've got was some bullshit gun charge. 
Yeah, that's weak. It's a joke. Ongoing investigation. It's just like, you know, they said, not going to be able to comment on it. If he gets hauled in for things related to Joe Biden's impeachment inquiry, let's say they do finally subpoena him. Oh, I'm part of an ongoing investigation. It's real sorry about that, guys, but I'm going to have to plead the fifth on everything. Yeah, I can't talk about that. We can just play the Dave Chappelle clip at the end of the show for that episode. <laughs> One, two, three, four, fifth. Fifth. Well, now we can't use it because you already did it. Damn it. Dave Chappelle does it way better. Guys, we're getting ready to sit down with America's Sheriff, Sheriff Lamb, who's running for the Senate in the great state of Arizona in just a moment. Got one more clip, though. You know, Newsmax was doing a little commentary on this yesterday, and I think that's kind of the best way to address it. We're going to be able to look at this from 10 million different angles, how long it took to get here, what we're actually going to do about it, where it eventually leads, and at the end of the day, you guys can debate this one for me. Is any of this really worth it? I mean, I think that's one of the biggest talking points that we have here because we have to remember on the other side of this is the election that's coming next year and the eventual nomination of Donald Trump for the third straight time. So regardless of how hard these agencies want to stonewall Republicans as they try to investigate Joe Biden and his son's business dealing, does it really matter? Because once Joe Biden gets out of office, according to Donald Trump, everybody's going to jail. What did they say? They, they pierced the veil. They've removed the curtain. They've gone too far. He's had it. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? Does it really matter right now if House Republicans can get to any kind of disposition on Joe Biden or his son? At the end of the day, let's let's go through how this is going to work, right? They're not going to end. Hunter Biden is not going to be convicted of anything. They'll drag this whole thing out. Joe Biden will be impeached. He will not be convicted. Half the country will believe that he was guilty. Half the country will believe that he was innocent. The media will say that this was all nothing more than a revenge impeachment for what they did to Donald Trump. And then it's all going to come down to the election. And if we can get more ballots counted for Trump, then we can get counted for Biden or whoever's going to be in place there. So at the end of the day, this is great, great for us because it gives us a lot of uh, content to use. It gives us a lot of great jokes to use, but it's not going to make any difference at the end of the day, guys. It really isn't. There's not going to be any aha. You're not going to see any Democrats do what Mitt Romney did during the Trump impeachments and vote for impeachment. They're going to get locked up in line and it's going to go back to basically nothing more than an interesting sideshow. Yeah. Jim says half the people are going to think he's guilty and the other half are going to think he's innocent. That's, that's partially correct. Half of the people are going to know he's guilty, but they're just going to say he's innocent because they're on board with the fucking team. Yep. I stand corrected, sir. Yep. I mean, maybe there's a few that actually believe it, but I doubt it. I mean, come on. It's going to take a village to get there eventually. A village idiot. Yeah. Well, we've already got a couple of those. Yep. Let's check out this clip. Do with my job, whatever my job was, conflict with keeping my son out of prison. And so, and, 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 and this is a son who's an addict. Sending an addict to prison has special risks associated with it. So if, if Joe Biden can figure out a way to not run for re-election and keep his son out of prison, I suspect he'll consider that. Yeah. Being an addict and going to prison has special risks? You mean, like, ideally the place where you will not be able to get drugs and maybe get clean? Or get even better drugs and really good sex. <laughs> it's, it's definitely a different kind of hookers when you go Asshole. to jail. <laughs> It gives hookers and blow a whole new meaning. Yeah. I I don't really see us putting too much attention to this other than uh, where this eventually goes with the sentencing. However, you know, 
Hunter Biden's going to have enough issues as House Republicans continue to work deeper into the impeachment inquiry into his dad. Yeah, Hunter Biden's going to be more of a distraction because as they start leaking out more of the just and admitting that some of the horrendous shit that's on that laptop is actually real, it's going to get people all in a tizzy and they're going to forget about what they're supposed to be focusing on because it's going to go nowhere. Hmm. I definitely see it going not too far. Well, Jim, you're not going to be around for News 3 today, but it's been great having you join us for the front half of the show. Listen, anytime anybody comes on Steak for Breakfast, our job is to make sure that our followership and our listenership brings you in as a part of our Steak for Breakfast family here. We always love having you on the show. So whatever you want to live link or direct people to, tell our listenership where to follow, we'd greatly appreciate it, and so would they. Hey, guys, as always, thank you so much for having me on the show. Another great time. Hope I didn't walk over you guys too much. Um, I would love everyone to join me tonight and every Friday night on Tipping Point, 9 p.m. Eastern on OAN. When I do my Everything is Stupid segment, tune in tonight to find out why Joe Biden thinks all Asians look alike and who the stupid person of the week is. Oh, wow. There's a stupid person of the week? There's always a stupid person of the week. I like it. Every week. It may be a governor of a certain state that starts with New Mexico. <laughs> starts with New Mexico? It's going to be a very hard <laughs> guess. I think our listenership is us for the task, though. Jim, for anybody that's not following you on social media, where can they check you out? Uh, follow me on X at Jim6555 is the best place. Thanks okay. again, guys. Had a blast. Always a pleasure hosting this author and supply chain expert. Always provides fine commentary here on the show. Mr. Jim Nels, thanks for joining us. Guys, we're getting ready to jump in with Sheriff Lamb right now, but before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. I think it's time we had a conversation about a good night's sleep. Pillow King of Minnesota, Mike Lindell, and the apparatus known as the MyPillow family has been cranking out savings down at MyPillow for over 20 years. And for the first time in 20 years, they've changed the long-standing MyPillow and now have the MyPillow version 2.0. You enter promo code STAKE at checkout, you're going to get buy one, get one free. In addition to that, they've got great savings on all things like MyPillow dog beds, the Air Lindell version 1 and 2, My Slippers, and Giza Dream Everything. If you're more of a morning person, they've launched My Coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. When you need a promo code stake here, you're going to get 25% off your order or 50% off when you make it a monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash stake for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash stake, or you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. He is the Penal County Sheriff and Republican candidate for the United States Senate in the battleground state of Arizona. Very excited to welcome back Sheriff Mark Lamb. Sheriff, welcome back to the show. Thank you, brothers. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Always good to be on the show. Always good to host you. So let's jump right into it. How's the campaign going? We've seen you've been out on the trail uh, talking to the people and, and, you know, Preaching on the issues, I think uh, last week you did an event with a couple of uh, our reoccurring guests here on the show, two of our great friends, Congressman Matt Gates and Eli Crane, so we'd like to hear about that as well, but why don't you give our listenership an update? Oh, the, the campaign's going great. Look, fundraising is tough. You got 10,000 Republican candidates for president right now, so they kind of suck up some of the money out of the market, and I think a, li- a lot of people are a little little stung on, on politics in general and so a little reluctant. And frankly, the economy sucks, which is one of the reasons why I'm running. So, uh, you know, fundraising could always be uh, better. And anybody out there that wants to contribute, please do. But as far as the campaign in general, uh, what we thought was true is true. uh, That Arizona wants a proven conservative fighter. And we're seeing that everywhere we go. 
And like you said, I had a great opportunity to spend some time with Matt Gates and Eli Crane. We were in Payson, Arizona, and then Prescott, Arizona. Two of phenomenal events where people were able to ask questions, and we were able to talk about the issues not just on a state level but on a national level. And uh, it was it was great. But as far as the campaign going, great, and uh, we're just we're happy to be in this fight. You know, when you talk about some of the America First congressmen that are uh, coming out and supporting your campaign as well. I look forward to, to next year when, when you win the election and get elected to the Senate. Uh, you know, we've got a lot of – it's a busy time in Congress right now, especially with them coming back right at the beginning of appropriation seasons. But I'm sure, as you know, Sheriff, they launched the uh, impeachment inquiry into Joe Biden and his criminal dealings with his family earlier this week. We heard from Speaker McCarthy. So now Jason Smith, James Comer, and, and Jim Jordan are moving forward with that, with their committees and, and, and seeing what they can present and whether or not we're going to get actual articles of impeachment or not. When we talk about numbers, and a lot of the congressmen and women who come on the show always talk about that. You know, there's 435 people in the Senate, and in, in America First, on a good day, you'll get 35-ish votes. On a bad day, you'll get 20-ish votes in the House. It's even less in the Senate. You know, the, for the Ted Cruz's and Tommy Tuberville's and J.D. Vance's of the world, there's just a lot of senators there who just go and know they're going to always get reelected until their terms are done and, and are completely happy with just rubber stamping it for the status quo. I definitely think you are someone who wants to go in there and, and, and help shake things up with some of the aforementioned America First senators next year. And uh, looking at all this stuff, kind of how it's shaken down, and, and I'm sure how you've been tracking it, what do you think? Look, I'm a believer you control what you can control. Um, unfortunately, you can't control what everybody does with their vote. But I think you can stand true to what you believe in. And what I believe in is we the people. I believe in the Constitution. I believe in God, family, freedom. And and I'm not running because I want this job. I'm running because um, America needs that proven conservative fighter. I have a good job. I, I, I could have stayed doing what I love doing, but... Um, I just looked at the landscape and realized we needed we needed somebody that was not afraid to go to Washington and say, this is what's right and we're going to do what's right no matter what the pressure or the consequences may be. Um, if they don't decide, they decide not to reelect me because I've tried to do what's right by the people and the Constitution and freedom, then so be it. But I'm going there for a specific purpose, and that's to restore this country to what it was built on, which is those those principles of God, family, freedom, and the principles of following the Constitution and, and the power being in the hands of the people. And we've gotten away from that. And guys like Matt Gates and Eli Crane and so many others understand it, but so many don't. And people keep asking me, well, are you going to be able to withstand the pressure? Look, I've been doing this for seven years. I stood the pressure of, of COVID, the pressures they're putting on the Second Amendment, the pressures of vaccines and mask mandates and all those things. And proven time and time again that I do what's right, regardless of what the, the backlash may be for it. So I look forward to taking that same attitude of doing what's right to D.C. And, and I've had people say, well, what can one senator do? And I always ask him this. How many people stood in front of the tanks in Tiananmen Square? And what happened was that it rallied the, the people that believed like he did. It rallied them and they were able to change the dynasty, but it started with one guy willing to stand in front of those tanks, and I think that's what Washington needs. Yeah, I mean, we've got a modern-day version of it if you want to talk about uh, Senate confirmations and what Tommy Tuberville is running on. I mean, he ran on a pro-life stance. There were some issues with the uh, 
you know, things that they're doing in the military. If you lose a family member and, and you have to take leave from the service, you get not only charged leave, but you have to pay for your own travel. And then, you know, over the past couple of years, the military has instituted the fact that if you want an abortion, you can take off as much time as you want and they'll fly you there all expenses paid. Tommy Tuberville said that's not the kind of military that represents, you know, the core values of the United States, not just the core values and principles of the military itself and has stood on, you know, on that campaign promise and has held the line in the Senate, you know, Chuck Schumer can put these people up for confirmation, but then they'd have to give receipts on whether or not they think this is appropriate. And I think, uh, you know, when you talk about one man making a change, Senator Tuberville has been an absolute sparkling example of that for America first. Yes. And that's what we need. We need more men like that are going to be willing to stand up and say, nope, this isn't right. You know, and Matt Gates was talking about an issue that the, that they that Washington continues to uh, egregiously violate, which is single source issues. If you're going to run a bill, run a bill for one issue. But what they do is they run a bill for they claim it's for border security. But then it's you know, they got 10 million for border security, but they got 30 billion for Ukraine in there. Yep. And then when you don't vote for it, they say you're anti-law enforcement. Well, first of all, $10 million doesn't go very far for border security. And number two, even if it means that you got to vote against it, you don't vote for those other things until we've got to get back to single-issue bills. And I think that's what Matt and Eli have been pushing for, and I think that's what we need in this country. Let's not convolute the waters. Let's not try to, to hoodwink the American people by throwing a bunch of stuff into a bill. And then if you don't vote for it, they try to claim you're anti-law enforcement, anti-border security, and they do it on purpose. Yep. But we need somebody that can tell the people and explain to people why we're doing what we're doing. No, I mean, that's it. And, and I think you getting out there early and, and being an extremely touchable candidate, I mean, obviously, you're you're very well known with, with all of your endeavors and your career in law enforcement, and now you're taking that to the next level. I think it's it's kind of been a, a, a parlay event for you into what's been a, a great kickoff to your Senate campaign. Let's talk about some of the issues on the ground in Arizona. I mean, you mentioned the economy. We also know that there's a huge drug epidemic going on in the state right now. Homelessness is, is definitely up as well. Education test scores are down. But I think the biggest thing that's really affecting all of the country right now, you're seeing it in a lot of these Democrat-ran cities, is, is the absolute humanitarian crisis going on down on the U.S. southern border. Uh, Arizona is not subject to not being hit as hard as places like Texas and, and, and some instances Arizona has been hit even harder. I know you've been uh, keeping a keen eye on this and been doing some work on the ground as well. Sheriff, you want to let our listenership know, you know, about this crucial issue, not just in the state of Arizona, but now kind of a nationwide topic. Well, I think we're seeing that if, if the border security is not the top issue, it's number two on the issues. And the three top issues are border crime and the economy, no matter where you go. And, and even in New York, border has become the top issue. You know, you got the mayor saying, if they don't fix this, it's going to ruin New York. Well, he's not wrong. If we don't fix this as a country, it's not just going to ruin New York. It's going to ruin every other country. And yes, Arizona is often over ignored because you don't see these huge mass groups coming to the border and claiming asylum. You do in Yuma County. But Tucson sector always leads the way in, in apprehensions, and it certainly has led the way the entire way in gotaways, which is the number of people you should really be concerned about. These are military-age men that you don't know where they're coming from, that the cartels are trafficking in here, that they don't want to be caught, and they're not there to claim asylum. These are not kids. They're not women. These are military-age men. Yep. And so we're seeing these numbers increasing every day. They're not diminishing. What's even more alarming is normally during July and August, we see those numbers decline because of the heat. 
those numbers were declining. We saw one of our highest months ever last month, and it was because of the fact that the problem is getting worse. Um, CBP1 app is only designed so that they don't have to report all these people coming across. The CBP1 app, the cartels love it. Yep. The government's app that now allows these cartels to push people through through the CBP1 app. And then they don't have to claim of them as being apprehended at the border. The numbers are far worse than what they're telling the American people. And we're seeing it every day. We're seeing the increase in traffic stops, pursuits, humans being smuggled, the drugs being brought into our communities, the, the fentanyl poisonings. The list goes on and on. And so it is a major problem, not just for Arizona, not just for Texas, but as New York and Chicago are proving for the entire country everywhere it's 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 out of control how do you feel about some of the uh candidates who are running in the 2024 presidential primary talking about you know not necessarily filing articles of war against the cartels but you know treating them as terrorist entities i mean joe biden has facilitated this crisis which has allowed them to balloon into a multi billion dollar international crime syndicate and you know they, the cross-border enterprise between mexico and the united states is wide open and a free-for-all guns drugs money human trafficking child trafficking you name it it's going on and there's only so much law enforcement can do especially with the millions of getaways we saw over the last three years do you think it, it would be a wise idea at some point uh, down the road after the next presidential election to have to take the fight to these cartels even if it means physically Oh, absolutely. Look, I've been saying from the beginning, it's part of my campaign. Let's declare these these cartels the terrorists that they are. When you talk to the families who have lost loved ones to fentanyl poisonings or to the to the Mexican families who've had their their loved ones chopped to pieces by the cartels or yep. beheaded by the cartels or just the amount of violence they've exacted on people who've come from all over the world. I think they absolutely qualify as terrorists and we should treat them as such. Now, I'm not saying that we just go in and just start wrecking shopping in other people's countries. I think that I truly believe that if you're willing to fight against these cartels, that Mexico would be a partner in it as well. But as long as we're just we're leaving the back door open, why would Mexico take that chance to to run to piss off the cartels when they know we're not committed to dealing with these people? They are. They are transnational criminal organizations. They are terrorists. They strike fear into the hearts of a lot of people, not just here in this country, but in Mexico and all over the, uh, from people all over the world. And um, I think that they should be absolutely declared terrorist organizations, and we could use military force in conjunction with Mexico to do to eradicate them. I think that would be a fantastic idea. Sheriff, last thing I want to touch on with you, probably most important to you in the campaign, we want to be able to direct everybody to not only be following you, but support you in any way we can. Obviously, we heard fundraising is kind of tough. And, you know, listen, it's just Bidenomics, but we're, we're going to get back to, uh, you know, a good economy by the time you, you head out to the ballot box next fall, and we're going to get as many people in our listenership contributing to your campaign as we can. I appreciate it. If you want to contribute, SheriffLamforSenate.com. One thing that you do when you get into this race on a Senate level, you realize we have the people in place that we have because rich people have put them in place. The elites are picking who's 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 they're not serving us. They're they're picking the people that you are now being subject to. And I want to get back to what the founding fathers said. Like I said at the beginning, this was not on my list of things to do. It's not a job that I aspire to want to do but it's a job I'm willing to do it. 
because the founding fathers made sacrifices. Some of us are going to have to make sacrifices. My family and I have decided we're going to make a sacrifice. And I'm asking you to come support me in that. Let's get back to we the people. Let's get back to servants in the Washington, D.C., people that are actually serving the people that, that elected them. And that's what I want to do. That's what I've done as a sheriff for the last seven years. And that's what I'll do as a senator. I will serve the people of Arizona the way the founding fathers intended. And uh, and I can't do it without your help. So please come to sheriffland4senate.com. You can donate as much as you want, up to $6,600 per person. And uh, I would love any every, every a bit help. So please come support me there. You can also sign my petition. If you're in Arizona, you can log on, sign my petition, which gets me on the ballot. Listen. We had too many missed opportunities in the 2022 midterm elections. We're already seeing some fantastic candidates coming out of the woodworks and, and risking it all for the sake of getting this country back on track. Sheriff, you're definitely one of those candidates right there. We will continue to support you and look forward to the next time we could host you on the show. For everyone that's not following you on social media, where can they check you out? Please come and check me out on Instagram at American Sheriff, on Twitter, Sheriff Lamb One, and on Facebook, Sheriff Lamb. Those are the primary areas where we're out push, posting our messages every day. I love Instagram the most. I think it gets the most you know, positive interaction, good interaction. Twitter seems to be for pundits and haters <laughs> yeah. uh, and journalists. And then obviously Facebook is really where the voters are. Um, but, you know, social media does everything they can to shut down the voices that, sure. that are talking about the right things. And so please come support me at those uh, social media platforms. And uh, stay in touch with what we're doing. We'll have everything live link. Sheriff, you stay safe out there, and we'll be looking forward to the next time we could host you on the show. This is the Penal County Sheriff, America's Sheriff, and a U.S. Senate candidate in the battleground state of Arizona. Sheriff Mark Lamb, thanks for joining us on the show, and have a great weekend. Appreciate you guys. God bless. And he has done, I don't know if it's similar things, but he's sort of told some stories that don't line up quite like this before. Yeah, this president has a, a pattern at this point of either inventing or embellishing stories about his own past, his biography. He did it three times in one speech last month alone. Uh, he claimed he had witnessed a bridge collapse in Pittsburgh when he actually showed up about six hours later. He claimed that his grandfather had died just days before he was born himself at the same hospital. In fact, his grandpa died more than a year before in a different state, not, not the same hospital. Um, and uh, and he also repeated a favorite false story that I and others have debunked over and over again about a supposed conversation with an Amtrak train conductor he was friends with, who was actually deceased at the time the conversation would have had to take place. And that's not all. There are some more serious ones, in, in my view. Uh, previously in his presidency, he claimed at one point he'd been arrested during a civil rights protest when, in other versions of the story, he just said an officer had taken him home uh, from a protest. He said he had visited the, the Pittsburgh synagogue where worshippers were killed in a 2018 mass shooting. In fact, he had actually spoken to the rabbi, uh, but never, but never went. Um, and he, he's made a whole bunch of others too. Uh, he said at one point, Republicans like to bring this up. He said that he used to drive a tractor trailer. He used to drive an 18 wheeler. Never happened. The White House later clarified he used to drive a school bus at one point for as a as a job briefly. School bus, of course, not an 18 wheeler. So whatever his intentions, whether it's you know foggy memory about stuff that's going on decades ago or deliberate embellishment, this is an unfortunate pattern that keeps coming up again and again. I, uh, I might say raised in uh, the uh, synagogues of my state. <laughs> you think I'm kidding, I'm not. <clears throat> but back in Wilmington, Delaware, uh, Bash Shalom was the home of countless friends for me. Because the country should know the facts. They should know the choice between Bidenomics and Maganomics. American growth and hope 
and we're building or American lose, lost jobs, raising fears. MAGA Republicans give us a few. They gave us a few short years ago. Do you think she is the, the best running mate, though? She's the vice president of the United States. All people say to me, well, why isn't she doing this or that? I said, because she's the vice president. That's the job description. You don't do that much. It's not a, no one's making it about personalities. I mean, like, it's just a simple question. Do you think Kamala Harris is the best running mate for President Biden? You've said she's excellent. That's farther than Speaker Pelosi went. But do you think she's the best? I'm not trying to throw anything into turmoil. I, I actually think it's a pretty simple question. Do you think Kamala Harris is the best running mate for President Biden? Yes or no? I mean, I don't know what else I can say other than she you can would say be yes. an excellent running mate and an excellent vice president. Um, I don't know whether President Biden has named his uh, running mate. We're going to a convention uh, next summer. It's uh, you know, a year away from now. Um, and we're going to go through that process. Say What did you just say? He was going to indict all of his political opponents? He, said, he told a rally that he would tell his attorney general to indict his political opponents. I mean, that's, that's a... That's yes. a banana republic yeah. without the banana. I mean, it's a terrible thing. It's a t- well, wow, there's that. Jeez, that was a montage and a half. You're welcome. So, there's your big update from the uh, Biden-Harris 2024 campaign. Does anybody really have any doubt in their minds that, quote-unquote, magonomics wasn't better for the record noah looked over the computer console and rolled his eyes at me when he said that (laughs) and and what else can you do it's that much of a joke i mean you know a couple of the lies they forgot to to mention for joe biden in in that top piece there in the in the montage to start news three here and it was great sitting down with arizona senatorial candidate sheriff lamb noah and i are both huge fans of him and uh we'll continue to support that campaign as he loves coming on the show with us but you know, Joe Biden said he was at Ground Zero the day after, pulling people out of, you know, the smoldering wreck, uh, standing at the gates of hell when it was not until September 20th, and an entire delegation of senators went up to New York from Washington, D.C., and was able to tour the terrorist attack site once it was deemed safe. Well, you know, 10 days, next day. I mean, it's Joe Biden. Mm-hmm. He's got hairy legs. He's also been claiming on the campaign trail that he's created... 13.5 million new jobs, something that's completely debunked and always community noted on Twitter because it's just the jobs returning from COVID. Well, the jobs returning from COVID and the fact that there's a lot of people that have more than one job that previously did not have to do it. And there's probably kids who, rather than take the summer off, their parents are like, you know what, motherfucker, you're going to pay rent because we're fucked. Yeah. Yeah. So, so maybe he is creating more jobs. That might actually be... A sliver of truth. Half truth, we'll call it. Well, yeah, I mean, creating more jobs in a negative aspect, yes. Because it's working. <laughs> so we're going to segue here to round out the show. And listen. You think I'm kidding? I'm not. Totally serious, Jack. Ugh. I couldn't think of a better way to end the week than sitting down with our favorite retired U.S. Army colonel, Douglas McGregor. He'll be here at the back end. But we're going to jump into some of the interviews that Donald Trump partook in this week. Megyn Kelly went over to Bedminster, first time in over seven years, and the last time that they've recorded anything together since the notorious Rosie O'Donnell question on the 2015 campaign trail. When are we going to Bedminster? Hopefully soon. I need to learn how to golf, apparently. Again, yeah. It's been a while. 
Uh, it's not like we have time to do all that fun stuff. But um, maybe miniature golf, but not like real golf. Listen, <laughs> there's a lot of dis, miss, and malinformation out there about this Megan Kelly interview. It seems like the only pieces that have gotten traction from the, I guess, anti-American first delegation of Twitter is the about seven minutes total of Donald Trump and Megyn Kelly exchanging back and forth about COVID. Um, they did an interview that was scheduled for 45 minutes that wound up going for nearly an hour and a half. And they talked about everything from where, like, Barron Trump was going to college and how's Melania Trump doing to how hard was it during the administration going through all the constant attacks. But the mainstream media and the print press and all of the, you know, sock accounts online want to take the two questions she asked about COVID and just continuously. Megyn Kelly's even come out and, like, quoted tweets of people trying to shit on her and shit on President Trump during this segment and saying, like, dude, that's not, that's not the way that this question and answer portion of our interview went down. Well, they're taking it, taking it out of context and yeah. clipping it. And- well, well, here's the thing. People will, like, quote, tweet it and then put the... Uh, presidential awards that Operation Warp Speed was given when Donald Trump was leaving office, an award that went to everyone from Anthony Fauci to General Milley and everyone in between for the work they did on Operation Warp Speed. It was not Donald Trump giving Anthony Fauci the Presidential Medal of Freedom because he was the greatest doctor in the history of the world. And I also want to clarify for our listenership, and I think everyone just kind of feels this way, I don't think you're going to find anybody out there who's satisfied with anyone's COVID response Period. Mm-mm. But you have to go back. You know, I was in a Twitter space last night, and, and it was actually nice. They, they talked about our show. Uh, one of the first ones we did with Dr. Peter Navarro was actually all the way back, like, episode 80s. Wow. The one where he talked about, uh, you know, because Peter Navarro was the liaison for Operation Warp Speed out of the White House, and he talked about how there were several times where they'd be in the White House, you know, conference rooms, and it'd be like Donald Trump, Peter Navarro, some people from the CDC and the NIH, Fauci would be there. There was this one instance where, like, I know for sure Dr. Zelenko was there, but Robert Malone could have been there as well. And they were talking about alternative therapies, right? Ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and all that other stuff. Oh, you mean the stuff that now is coming out as being legitimate and people are actually getting it? Yes. Weird. And and it was at this portion of the pandemic where, you know, they were really trying to push and say this stuff can be extremely helpful in addition to all the other stuff that we're working on. It was, I guess, at the end of a business day and at the end of a business week, and Donald Trump basically told everybody, we're going to put a pin on this, we're going to revisit it next week. And they explicitly told both sides, I would appreciate it if you did not run to the press and say one is good and one is not. Use one, but not this one. And then Fauci went and fucking went full retard. Dude, meet the press, State of the Union, you name it. He did every fucking show throughout the weekend and talked about not only how the vaccine was the only way but that these alternative therapies were actually, like, killers. Dangerous, yeah, yeah, remember at the beginning, they were killers. So Horse goo. And it's just one of those things where, you know, you want to talk about that, you want to talk about Mike Pence's leadership as, as the head of the COVID tax force and, and all the stuff that nobody liked the response, period. Nobody liked any shutdowns. Nobody liked this, that, or the other thing. I also want to remind our listenership, when the vaccine was finally made available to the public, and as Dr. Peter Navarro highlighted several times on the show, this was developed for older and sick people, period. Yeah, it wasn't meant for fucking children. Or just healthy adults, period. And yeah. it was never meant to be mandated. And that's why I didn't take it. The COVID vaccine was available for like eight-ish weeks before Donald Trump left office and was never mandated in any form. 
So I think a lot of these reoccurring training scars that we all have regarding COVID, where we just go back to that really dark place of like whether you had a bad experience at the workforce, whether you lost somebody during the pandemic, whether, you know. That person you lost had to die alone, frightened and scared. Your kids couldn't have prom. They couldn't have graduation. They couldn't have sports their senior years. Listen, it affected all of us. And if you hugged anyone through a shower curtain, just go fuck yourself right now. That too. But here's the thing. These weren't things that were implemented or mandated from the Trump administration. I mean, nobody liked the two weeks or three weeks, whatever it was, to stop the spread. But Donald Trump didn't set up interstate checkpoints with, you know, sheriffs and state troopers anywhere. Donald Trump didn't force schools closed for any extended periods of time. There were governors who just said, I'm not going to do that. Like, yeah, I mean, Governor Christy Nome, they didn't adhere to any COVID anything there in South Dakota. And there was a bunch of other governors that followed suit. So here's the thing. I really think that, you know, as part of the campaign strategy, you always have to address these issues head on and be strong in it. But but you still have to be able to cycle these out of the repertoire of questions that you use when, you know, you're sitting down with people like Donald Trump. COVID's not going to be an issue in 2024. There's not going to be a person. No, it's only going to be an issue if you, the public, let it become an issue. Yep. And that's, that's the absolute truth. Do not comply. Don't go to the ballot box for any reason and say, I'm voting because of COVID. That yeah. doesn't make any sense. So, you know, you that's should... the same as saying you're voting because you're retarded. Or that Joe Biden created 13.5 million jobs coming out of the pandemic because of it. It's just... I feel like we're talking on deaf ears here because none of these people listening to this show are idiots. <laughs> well, hopefully they're, they're passing it on to their friends. But I, I want to get into these couple clips here. And, and, and listen... You might not be satisfied with the answers President Trump gives or how he gives them, but that's why we have to have an open conversation and debate about it. Let's hear the first one. But I have people on the other side. I don't, not my side, although probably there's some on my side too. They said, you saved 100 million people because I got it done in nine months as opposed to five years to 12 years. A lot of people. You're proud of it. No, I'm not proud of it. I'm saying what Democrats think. Democrats. I get it. I mean, and I'm not, and I'm I'm not, not somebody I'm who not, denies some of the good yeah, that the vaccines yeah. did. I, I lived through that, too. But, yeah. of course, a lot of people have been vaccine injured. And that's one of the questions. Those people are mad that they were rushed through. And Megyn Kelly's been vaccine injured. Well, I never uh-huh. gave mandates. And people have to make up their own, you know, make their own decision, as far as I'm concerned. Now, some places had mandates, very strong mandates, uh, largely Democrat governors and probably some Republicans, et cetera, et cetera. But... There are Democrats that say, why aren't you talking about that? It's one of the, they really believe strongly. One said, you say, and this is very smart people. They said, you saved 100 million people worldwide. Uh, in 1917, you know, they, it could have been as much as 100 million. It ended the First World War because all the soldiers were dying of, of this horrible disease of 1917. You know, it actually ended the First World War. The soldiers were dying. They were on the lines. They're fighting and they're dying of this horrible disease. They said, you might have saved 100 million people, 50 million people. Why aren't you talking about it? I said, I'm not talking about it. But what I did do is I got something done for that specific thing. I also got Regeneron and I got a lot of therapeutics done, which were great. I also got the robes and the leather and the rubber and all of the different things, the ventilators. Mm -hmm. We did a tremendous job and it's never... You know, they appreciated what I did with the economy. I got a lot of good marks on economy. I got a lot of good marks on a lot of things. Rebuilding the military, getting rid of ISIS, uh, the biggest tax cuts in history. Uh, Supreme Court. I never got, 
I think the credit that I deserve on COVID. And that's it. Yeah. Listen. I mean, some of that stuff wasn't really a benefit because obviously we find out in retrospect that he got all those ventilators. A lot of them went unused. And the ones that were used actually probably are the reason why people fucking died. Sure. And the thing is, like... But I I still maintain that he has to go and just be positive about the whole COVID thing because if he admits that it's bad, if he admits that the, the shot is killing people, vaccine injuries, the whole deal... Then they're just going to turn it around and be like, blame him. It's his fault. Yep. And I mean, again, I, I want to remind our listenership that Donald Trump never put on a lab coat and developed this vaccine. Uh, he, also, didn't, he didn't make it at Mar-a-Lardo? No, definitely didn't make it at Mar-a-Lardo. <laughs> also, you know, when news of this was first breaking and after the the Democrats like Nancy Pelosi who went out and grandstanded and a bunch of people said like, you know, oh, we don't have to do anything before the travel ban – what we were getting intelligence-wise was, like, the body bags and, and the burn pits in, in places like China. and Oh, the choreographed uh, people in white fucking hazmat suits, like, falling down, which I think later it came to find out that that was, like, old footage or, yeah. or something. I don't remember exactly. It was bullshit. And, and the thing is, is that, but what do you do? You offer the intelligence. Then you have the biopharmaceutical medical complex saying that this is the next great, you know, plague and the even, next great cash cow they meant that's what it turned out to be but listen up until that point there wasn't too much speculation on whether or not you should trust your doctor and yeah when all this stuff initially happened i would i would go see my elderly mother and i would you know make her wait outside while i went inside wearing a mask i'd lice all the fucking doorknob on the way in on the way out like i mean we took it seriously up until it became so just blatantly not serious mm-hmm like after you have it two or three times, you're like, mm, probably not. I never I'm had kidding. it. I never had it two or three times. You know why? Because I didn't get the fucking shot. Good point. <laughs> I've had it once. Good point. We had it once. Yeah. In here. Mm-hmm. It was magic. Yep. The Fauci question was next. You do know that uh, because Megyn Kelly often brings on the gang from the Ruthless podcast who are anti-Trumpers, three out of four of them, and regularly host people like Dave Rubin. And gushes over her dinner that she had at the governor's mansion down in Tallahassee with Ron DeSantis and his family. That she was going to basically find the most cutesy way to ask, did you give the keys to the country over to Fauci? Let's hear it. Fire Anthony Fauci uh, was because he'd been there for a long time, that you would have taken heat, that it would have created a firestorm, quoting your words. Then for the first time in May... I also said I didn't listen to him too much. I'm getting there. But then in in May, you started saying, well, he's a civil servant. So I couldn't, technically. The truth is, though, not only did you not fire Fauci, who is loathed by many, many millions of Republicans in particular, but also some Democrats. By the way... You made him a star. You made him a star. This is the criticism of you, that you made him the face of the White House coronavirus task force. You think so? That he was at every presser, that he was running herd for the administration on COVID, and that... You actually gave him a presidential commendation before you left office. Wouldn't you like a do-over on that? Uh, I don't know who gave him the commendation. I really don't know who gave him the commendation. Well, presidential I commendation. One went I out know. to Mark Somebody Miller, probably. <sighs> yeah, how does that work? How do you answer? Well, I mean, if you go and look at our Twitter feed, because Brian Griffin, the chief of staff for Ron DeSantis, who uses sock puppet accounts, at least once or twice a week. Brian Griffin, isn't that a character from Family Guy? Yes, it is. Well, he goes by Max Nordo on his sock account. Nice. Yeah. 
Um, but he'll take a screenshot from the official White House site that said, like, this presidential award was given to those who led the coronavirus task force. It's like Fauci, Bricks, General Milley. Every, all the highest-ranking officials got a presidential accommodation for it. Yeah, it was just a blanket rollout. It's like getting one of those uh, medals that they give everybody in the military for just being in the military at a certain time. Sounds accurate. Yeah. But, but, you know, it's one of those things where they like to say that not only did Donald Trump, you know, give the keys of the country over to Dr. Fauci, but he gave personally gave him, like, went to his house and intimately pinned a medal on him for his work during coronavirus. <laughs> and that's just... Stupid way to think. Uh, Donald Trump came to my house and uh, he brought a quiche <sighs> and he gave me my medal in in front of my my family and my bobbleheads. It still says Fire Fauci on Dr. Rand Paul's website. <laughs> it says Fire Fauci. Man, we haven't done that in a while. <laughs> but but the thing is, it's just like, and again, outside of that and maybe two more minutes of back and forth on the COVID issue. The rest of the hour and a half of the interview really just talks about policy, a lot of retrospect, accomplishments, enemies made, how hard it's been on him and the family. The last couple I'm going to play from this interview basically kind of sums that up. You know, one of the things that Megan kind of focused in on when she was trying to get Donald Trump to open up a little bit about his family was the fact that he's facing some potential jail time that might make him not see them for a very long time, pretty much forever. And, you know, for someone who's as big and as famous as Donald Trump has been throughout the course of his life, how he walks around with that burden on his shoulder and is able to do it, you know, over the course of uh, indictment after indictment. So we're going to check it out right now. The last couple we're going to play from the Megyn Kelly interview with Donald Trump. Let's hear it. Pretty much universally liked or loved yeah. before you got into politics. I mean, you were known all over the world. You're a big celebrity. Everyone knew you and liked you. It just, you weren't controversial. You didn't think so? I thought I was. I don't think you were <laughs> that controversial. I mean, I, I'm from New York. In yeah. New York, everybody loved you. Yeah. Um, no, I had, yeah, I had. Not like now. Let's put it that yeah. way. Yeah, okay. So, well, so you could be going you know, into your. You have to your, do the right thing, right? Yes, but you And could, that makes you controversial. You could be going into your 78th year enjoying this beautiful golf course, yeah. Mar-a-Lago, your lovely family. No. Um, you don't have to be running for president, sitting for four criminal trials, some civil, and possibly looking at jail time. No. Is it worth it? Yeah. Uh, make America great again. Our country's Maybe going you've to heard hell. of it. Our country's going down. You don't realize it. I don't believe you realize it. But our country's going down. Our country, and I used to say we're going to end up being, if we don't do certain things, we're going to end up being Venezuela on steroids. How about, how about we're buying oil now from Venezuela? How about that? We're making Venezuela rich. Okay, think of it. The people running Venezuela, which were total enemies, what we're doing is so crazy. We're not using our oil. We're making Venezuela rich. But... The country, I believe, has one last chance, and that's this. This is the most important election we've ever had. You know, I used to say 2016 was the most important, and it was a very important election, and we turned the country around. We had the greatest economy in history. What we did is incredible. We knocked out a lot of enemies. We got them out. I took everybody out of these crazy wars that nobody wanted to be in, even the other country that was protected. They didn't want us spending trillions and trillions of dollars. 
but our country's going bad. Our country's being destroyed. When you look at our cities with what's pouring into our cities now, they can't handle what they have. And um, I brought our country to a level that just prior to COVID coming in, and then I did it again because I built it again and the stock market was actually higher when I left than it was pre-COVID, which is like... You know, it's funny. If you really follow the life and time of Donald Trump, you know, I'm originally from the tri-state area, so he was a pretty familiar face that was either always on TV or radio, you know, doing something, whether it was one of his shows or just, you know, he was, he was public. And, 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 you know, Donald Trump likes talking about himself, mm-hmm. but he doesn't like talking about himself. You know, he will talk about the greatest economy and the closed borders and the work he's done and, and gloat about it like I was the best that ever did it. But when you ask Donald Trump to really talk about himself, himself, his feelings, his heart, like some of the good things he does, she tried to get an emotional rise out of him. I, I think she triggered it a little bit, but he was able to kind of segue away from it. Mm-hmm. You know, when you go and see some of these older videos online when people talk about, like, I was down and out of my luck, and next thing you know, like, Donald Trump bought me a car or bought me a house or, like, let me stay with him when something bad happened to him or just you know, reassured me that everything was going to be okay and took care of me in, like, the darkest part of my life. And there's so many stories of that. He hates talking about that stuff Mm -hmm. because I I just think he was raised, like, if you have the ability to make somebody's life better, you don't have to publicly parade about it. You just do it. Mm -hmm. That's why right now you see these events being held for January 6th families and Donald Trump's picking the tab up for them all how Donald Trump stuck around for an extra three hours after he hosted the 13 families of the men and women who died at Abbey Gate over in Kabul, Afghanistan two years ago. You know, you know, listen, that's the stuff that he doesn't care about if it ever makes it to social media. That's the stuff that Donald Trump just does. And, again, there's been some harsh criticisms about a few minutes of commentary throughout the course of this interview. I strongly suggest you listen to the whole thing. And then there's a bonus. If you listen to the audio version, uh, Victor David Hansen comes in to provide commentary on the interview after watching it with Megan. And he provides some really good insight, some things that he thought Donald Trump hit home runs on, some things that he thinks he needs to retap, and some things he has to kind of get away from as the campaign trail uh, you know, starts to narrow and, and Donald Trump continues to walk away with the GOP nomination. So... You know, it's one of those things where we're going to see hit pieces all the time. I really don't think this was one. I think people, you know, who are opposed to Donald Trump's candidacy are making it that. But it is what it is. So, you know, we're segueing away from this. And I do want to just tease as we're getting ready to jump in with Colonel McGregor a little bit of the Meet the Press interview that Donald Trump sat down for this week. That's going to air on Sunday. Uh, But before we do that, Noah, let's check out some of the poll numbers. I know I mentioned it at the top of the show this week. So... The Real Clear Politics Average, which is like kind of an aggregate of all the polls out there. Throughout the course of the 2020 presidential election cycle, there was never one poll that came out where Donald Trump led Joe Biden. Uh, even though he was the incumbent president, this, that, and the other thing, cross tabs, men, women, minorities, you name it, never happened. Yesterday, the RPC average now shows Donald Trump leading Joe Biden by 0.4%. 0.4? Point four. Wow. The New York Times and Washington Post, for example, has just released opinion pieces 
this week, we talked about it, urging Joe Biden uh, to get out of the race or for the DNC to ditch him. The New York Times would go on to say Joe Biden will probably die before he finishes his second term, so sound the alarm. Um, you know, you've seen people, we played a couple of clips on the show today from MSNBC, CNN, this, that, and the other thing. Uh, you know, just talking about how Joe Biden's busted up now, and uh, it just doesn't seem like Donald Trump's losing any steam or momentum no matter what happens. No, there's nothing they can do at this point. He's unstoppable. Yeah. And when we get into this general election cycle, I don't know how they're going to be able to hide him. How, how do you have a presidential primary with zero debates? I don't know if they could allow Joe Biden for as much vitamins and go-go juice and stem cells that they're pumping into that guy on a daily basis. I don't think he could last 90 minutes on the debate stage. And what do you do if he starts fucking lying? Like he, We've played like 20 examples of him lying just from this week on the show today. Yeah, it's like he just, that's his filler. His filler is just to make shit up. Like maybe it's based on some sort of like previously known fact or, I mean. <laughs> it's just silly. And it's silly to think about that, you know, it, it's going to be anything even close to normal. If if Joe Biden thinks that he can go through an entire election cycle when he's running for re-election and supposedly so much better president than Donald Trump was and, and not debate him, especially after we've been able to clear up so much of the other stuff. And we'll have a lot of stuff cleared up even more by the time we get to the general election cycle next year. Presidential primary polls. This is from Clarity Campaign. Trump 45, Biden 44. And then it shows some of the other pretenders. Biden 43, DeSantis 40. And then in the head-to-head GOP primary, Trump 65, DeSantis 12. Ron DeSantis is like a pube away from single digits. In some <laughs> polls, he's already there. That's sad. No, it is. The numbers don't lie. Some of the first five primary states, 2024 South Carolina GOP primary, Trump 46, up 28 points on Nikki Haley at 18%, and Tim Scott at 10%, and then Ron DeSantis at 9 Fourth place Ron in South Carolina right now. How's that make you feel, Noah? Nips hard? Mm. No? I don't know about nips hard, but okay. you do love to see it. And then in this Quinnipiac national poll, Donald Trump boasts his biggest lead ever over Ron DeSantis. Trump is up plus five from last month's poll at 62%. Ron DeSantis comes in at second at 12. These people that are saying Ron DeSantis is running a legitimate campaign He's in fourth place in the first five primary states. He's down 40-plus points to Donald Trump. <laughs> Donald Trump gained five points on him in just the last 30 days. Behind Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy at 6%, Pence at 5%, Haley 5%, Scott 3 Christie 2 Ada Hutchinson at 1% with the arrow going left. What can you say? And, and you know, it, it's just you, you want to look into some of these cross-tabs, same Quinnipiac poll, do you think fill in the blank is too old to effectively serve another term, a four-year term as president or not? Joe Biden, 68% yes, he's too old, 28% no. Donald Trump, 34% yes, 63% no. It's like complete opposite. And better job at responding to a national crisis. Donald Trump, 51%, Joe Biden, 44 obviously we've had a couple of them since he's been president and they haven't gone so well. Nope. All right, let's get wrapped up in the news here. We're going to give you guys a couple teasers from 
the Meet the Press interview Donald Trump did yesterday that's going to be airing in its entirety on Sunday, he was asked about the two-tier justice system in the country and whether he thought it actually existed. Let's hear his answer. Talk about the breaking news today. We learned just a short time ago that the president's son, Hunter Biden, was indicted by a federal grand jury on three gun charges. Given that, Mr. President, can you continue to say that there are two systems of justice? Well, I think there's no question about it. He had a plea deal that was the deal of the century, uh, the art of the deal. You could write a book on it, the art of the deal. Uh, and all of a sudden that was broken up by a judge who was able to, a brilliant judge actually, who was able to see through what was happening. And it's a sad situation. I mean, nobody should be happy about this. I'm not happy about it. Nobody is. It's a very sad thing. It's so bad for our country. But, you know, if you think about it, I've been under investigation from the day I came down the escalator and a phony investigation, fake <laughs> investigations, investigations that I beat every single time, still under investigations. But it's a very sad thing and it's a uh, slippery slope but Mr. and Biden dangerous, very dangerous for our country. So, no, be honest. Do you think he's going to tell them that they're meet the fake press at any point in that interview? It's on the tip of his tongue. Could happen. Yeah. And in our last audio clip of the week. Kristen Welker, who's the new host of Meet the Press, asked Donald Trump a little something that a lot of people speculate might have happened before he left office. No, have you ever heard of a pocket pardon? Pocket pardon? Mm -hmm. Is that like a pardon you keep for a rainy day? Yes. Oh, perfect. And uh, Donald Trump gave an answer that raised a couple eyebrows. Let's check it out. Mr. President, if you were reelected, would you pardon yourself? I could have pardoned myself. Do you know what? I was given an option to pardon myself. I could have pardoned myself when I left. People said, would you like to pardon yourself? I had a couple of attorneys that said, you can do it if you want. Uh, I had some people that said it would look bad if you do it, because I think it would look terrible. Um, I said, here's the story. These people are thugs, mm. horrible people, fascists, Marxists, <laughs> sick people. They've been after me from the day I came down the escalator with Melania. And I did a great job as president. People were acknowledged. Great economy, great jobs, great this, great that. Rebuilt the military, Space Force, everything. We, I could go on forever. Let me just tell you. I said the last thing I'd ever do is give myself a pardon. I could have given myself a pardon. Don't ask me about what I would do. I could have, the last day, I could have had a pardon done that would have saved me all of these lawyers and all of this, these fake charges, these Biden indictments. They're all Biden indictments, political. They indicted. They want to arrest their political opponents. Only third world countries do that, banana republic. So, ready? I never said this to anybody. Uh, I was given the option. I could have done a pardon of myself. You know what I said? I have no interest in even thinking about it. I never even wanted to think about it. And I could have done it. And all of these questions you're asking me about the fake charges, you wouldn't be asking me because it's a very powerful I think you might have said powerful the fake thing press. for a president. Um, I was told by some people that these are sick lunatics that I'm dealing with. Give yourself a pardon. Your life will be a lot easier. I said I would never give myself a pardon. Even if you were reelected in this moment? Well, I think it's very unlikely. What, what did I do wrong? I didn't do anything wrong. You mean because I challenged an election? They want to put me in jail? Got pretty hot. Yeah. And uh, he did every little, you know when he does this one where he like squeezes his fingers together and like points them like right in your face like he's throwing darts? He gave her that one like 10 times there and named about every <laughs> nickname he has for the fake news at the same time.
It's listen. You want Donald Trump to do the hard interviews. You want him to give not only the most candid, but honest answers that he can give. And I know based on the team that's around him, he's well-prepared. I don't really worry about his mental capacity to be able to remember things because it seems like just from these couple clips that we played from these few interviews, he's sharp as a tack still. What do you think, Noah? Oh, well, in comparison to the person we have currently empty suiting it up in the White House, yeah. Guess what? It's working. We're getting ready to jump in with Colonel McGregor right now and wrap up our week here on Steak for Breakfast. But before we do that, let's hear from one of our partners. Friends, I want to take a minute and talk to you about cigars. Whether you're on the golf course, fishing on the lake, or doing some yard work around the house, our friend Alan has got you covered. He's launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is handpicked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. Cigars are hand-rolled each three years. You get a promo code STAKE here, you're going to get 15% off your total order. Every order over $100, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, that's MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. All right, joining us next on the show today, this big Friday edition of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, he's a retired U.S. Army colonel. He worked just about everywhere in the defense community. He's a consultant analyst and great friend of the show, Colonel Douglas McGregor. Thanks for joining us again. Happy to be here. Man, do we have a lot to talk about with you. The first thing I do want to touch on, listen, I saw a great article this week in American Conservative. It was from you called War, Money, and America's Future, Why the Uniparty Risking a War Were So Ill-Prepared to Fight. I want everyone in our listenership, you know, we shared it on our social medias, but we want to hear a little bit about the article from you. All right. Well, let's put it this way. Right now, if we look at Ukraine, I would argue that the Ukrainian phase of the war is really over. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that the Ukrainians have been bled white. They've lost over 400,000 men killed. Some people think as much as 450,000. I don't know. Uh, Putin, in his speech, talked about 71,000 potentially dead uh, Ukrainian troops as a result of the last offensive. I Again, I don't know. But anyway, you slice it, they're losing soldiers at a rate that is about the same as uh, the Allies lost troops in World War I on the Western Front. Mm. So remember, we, we fought for 110 days in the First World War, and we had 318,000 casualties. Of that number, 110,000 Americans died. So you could say that every day, every day that we fought a battle in 1918 on the Western Front, we lost 1,000 men. That's the kind of loss that the Ukrainians are experiencing. Now, what does this mean? What it means is that we're into what I would call now the Biden phase of the Ukrainian war. What's the Biden phase? Well, it's the phase where The Ukrainians don't really have any troops to throw at the enemy. So now we're giving them long-range strike systems, uh, 300-kilometer range missiles or 500-kilometer range missiles, 300 miles, 200 miles, 150 miles. And they're lobbing these things at the Russians, primarily in Crimea. So we just saw a major attack involving 11 Storm Shadow cruise missiles, Three got through. The other eight were shot down. Uh, Those three did damage to the dry docks and harbor in Sevastopol. 
to a submarine and to a capital ship, in other words, a warship. They also managed to employ some underwater unmanned systems. Uh, they call them underwater drones or water drones. Uh, they're probably British. Uh, they did some damage to Crimea. In other words, the Ukrainians have nothing left. They don't have the artillery ammunition to support a major ground attack. So the Ukrainians are lobbing long-range strike systems at the Russians. So what does this mean for us? Well, it means that we're goading the Russians into a major offensive to end the Ukrainian war. Because the Russians are looking at this and saying, well, we've already killed what, what consists of most of the Ukrainian army. So having killed most of it, what are we going to do now about these launches? Well, we know that the Ukrainians launched some of these strike systems from the coast of southern Ukraine between the Romanian border and Odessa. Well, Odessa is on the menu. Yep. So I suppose this now means that the Russians will have to cross in the upper river, move south and seize Odessa. Uh, they can do it. The biggest problem for the Russians down there will be logistics because it has to come once again through Crimea and over the river down into Odessa. The Russians are also positioned to launch an offensive up in Kharkov, up in the northeast corner of Ukraine. Interestingly enough, the Ukrainians are evacuating people from both Kharkov and uh, Odessa. So what are we going to do? Well, we can give them more long-range strike systems. We can give them F-16s at some point, even though they're going to be very hard to employ them and they can't really sustain them. But what are we going to do? And this is, this is the key question, because we've reached the point now where we either have to say, that's it, we can't do anything else because to do much else risks direct war with Russia, or uh, we get more deeply involved. We actually talk about the use of our own ground forces. Now, I don't know which way this is going to go, but I can tell you that if we're going to risk a direct confrontation with Russia, we're not prepared. We don't have the months of ammunition. We don't have the means of reinforcement. If we go to war with Russia, the Russian submarine fleet will sink everything that tries to cross the Atlantic. Can't be done. If you can't move reinforcements across the Atlantic, guess what? You're in a lot of trouble in Europe. This means that there are 32 member states who potentially now offer targets to the Russians. The Russians don't have to sit there and take damage from us from long-range strike weapons. If they find out we're launching weapons from Poland, from Romania, from Slovakia, they can attack those places from Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia. Remember, they've got 300,000 troops sitting in reserve. And they're continuing to quietly mobilize with the goal of reaching 1.2 million, probably in January or February of next year. So we're in a terrible position if we want to wage war with the Russians. So why are we doing it? Why are we poking them? Why are we provoking them? Why are we giving the Ukrainians weapons with which they can attack targets inside Russia? Because that's an invitation to a broader war. That certainly is. How alarming is it to you to see Vladimir Zelensky uh, going to be on a plane in a couple of days and up on Capitol Hill asking Congress for more money and weapons and having a state dinner with Joe Biden next week? Well, I'd rather he eat with Biden than me. I have no <laughs> desire to do that. And I could, I could imagine that must be a very confusing meal, you know, past the salt. And God knows what Biden is going to hand him. Yeah. So 
uh, I, you know, I don't want to go to the go to that. Uh, but Zelensky is coming for a twenty-one billion dollar payoff. Yep. More money thrown down the rat hole when there's absolutely no chance for Zelensky to win. There never has been, and his government is really miserably unpopular inside Ukraine. Remember, they're they're now pulling people off the streets. They're headed into the Carpathian Mountains to find any living human beings they can. They want NATO governments to round up military-age-eligible Ukrainian men and ship them back to Ukraine to die in the Russian meat grinder. And this is this is a catastrophe. The, the inhumane dimension cannot be overstated right. because the wounds that these Ukrainian soldiers are receiving on the battlefield are wounds from which they, most of them will never recover. We don't know how many amputees are, but there are tens of thousands of them. I've heard some people say 70,000. I've heard others say 60,000. I mean, the whole thing is insane. There's no chance for a victory here. So what else is he going to be told while he's there? Well, I'm being told that Blinken and Newland are saying, well, we, we have to have a freeze. We have to freeze the, the battlefronts. That's the only way forward. Well, the Russians aren't going to freeze anything. The Russians have a set of demands. We have been unwilling to consider any of them. Yep. At the beginning of this whole thing, these were requests. Now they're demands that have to be met. Ukraine cannot join NATO. End of discussion. So that means Ukraine can be neutral. Now, I don't know what other conditions may be attached to it, but we can certainly live with neutrality. We don't need Ukraine and NATO. In fact, Ukraine as a neutral state is a wonderful idea. It puts almost 500 miles between us and the Russians. Yep. Why is that a bad thing? It's not a bad thing. But see, the larger problem is that the goals that we originally stated, when I say we, I'm talking about people like Blinken and Austin and uh, Newland and Biden and Sullivan and others, was to harm Russia, harm its economy, weaken the state, potentially overthrow or remove Putin. It's all nonsense. The opposite has happened. Russia is stronger now than it's been since the 1980s. Its military establishment is probably the best of its kind, I would say certainly in Europe and maybe in the world, given the enormous armaments that they've managed to turn out, brand new equipment, the tactics they've used, the organizational construct they've built. Uh, what are we, you know, what are we trying to accomplish? We're not going to get it. We're not going to get a freeze. The Russians are going to say, freeze yourself, stick your head in the freezer. It's not going to happen in Ukraine. So where are we headed? Well, I'm afraid we're headed to more escalation until finally the Russians are standing on the Polish border. And my fear has always been that we would become desperate because we can't do anything other than throw boulders at them over the wall. Yep. You know, this is sort of like siege warfare. If you can't take them on, what do you do? You start hurling crap over the wall. That's what we're doing. It's not going to win. It's not going to change anything. It's not going to improve our strategic position. So I'm, I'm worried about desperation in the West. Now, of course, you know, it may be, given Europe's really fragile economic condition right now, that Europe collapses financially and economically before anything gets much further. I mean, we're in trouble, too. Yeah. I mean, all you have to do is turn on the business channels and people say, oh, Treasury yields are up. Prices for bonds are down. Nobody wants our bonds. Oh, by the way. Trillions in U.S. Treasuries are being dumped by China, Saudi Arabia, the Emirates. Uh, this is not a good thing for us. We're in trouble. So you would think someone with an 
any sense of balance or, or rationality would say, gee, we probably ought to find a way out of this. Let's get some sort of deal on the table and put an end to this thing. But it's not happening. It certainly isn't. Listen, I do want to talk about a state dinner that was a little bit more important than the one between Joe Biden and, and Vladimir Zelensky that's going to happen this week. And that's the one between Vladimir Putin and Kim Jong-un. When you uh, saw the hermit dictator make it out of the kingdom and then stick around for an extended stay in Moscow, what are the optics of that? And in the big scheme of things here, I mean, Vladimir Putin's always trying to play two moves ahead. What does it mean for, you know, the uh, global battlefront as it's shaping up right now? Well, first, let's make something clear. Mr. Kim has not missed many meals. <laughs> so if you offer him something to eat, he's going to show up. I'll guarantee it. Uh, other than that, this is much more important for Mr. Kim than it is for Putin. What Putin has done is sent a clear and unambiguous signal to us. You refuse to cooperate with us. You won't talk with us. You won't negotiate with us. You continue to try and harm us. Fine. Then we will provide to Mr. Kim the missile body and the warhead that he needs to have an ICBM, an intercontinental ballistic missile, that can mount a nuclear warhead and, if necessary, reach targets in the United States. So he's done that. Xi in Beijing has always fought that and objected to it. Chinese don't like North Korea. North Korea is a, a dangerous catalyst for conflict. The Chinese are about stability, not war. And the Chinese have enormous problems at home themselves. Problems with unemployment, problems with real estate, problems with corruption. But the Chinese have relented and told Putin, all right, you can do it. Give Kim this capability. The capability is designed to terrify the hell out of us. You know what? It works. Yeah. I'm not reassured in the least that Mr. Kim has this capability. I don't think he's crazy, but I don't like the idea that he's got it. And by the way, keep your eye on Cuba, Venezuela, Mexico, Colombia, Latin America, because things there could get very dicey very quickly. We have open borders. We don't know what's going on in Mexico and Central America in most cases. The places are overrun with Russian and Chinese influence, agents, spies, intelligence officers. All of these can contribute to one hell of an explosion inside the United States when they want it to. We're not thinking about that. If we had any brains at all, we'd secure the border, start rounding up illegals and boot them out. We're not doing it. We're not enforcing our own laws anywhere. Criminality is out of control. Well, this is a wonderful opportunity if you're sitting in the Kremlin and you're trying to think of new ways to tie down U.S. resources, new ways to heighten the, the dangers to Americans. Well, this is what we've got. It's called horizontal escalation. That's what it is. It's different from what we normally think about. We're vertical thinkers. Send Ukraine a new missile that goes further. The Russians are a little more sophisticated. They know that we have a soft underbelly in the Caribbean and Latin America. I would look for real trouble down there. We've already got it, let's face it, in terms of illegal human trafficking and drugs, sure. but it can get a lot worse. Yeah, it's uh, you paint such a 
bright picture heading into the weekend here, Colonel. It's it, you know, here's the thing: we love having you on the show, and we love having these hard conversations because the fact of the matter is, there's very few places that you're able to talk about this stuff freely and kind of push back on the mainstream narrative. And I just feel like at least our listenership deserves to hear what what's really going on because you see stuff in the news, and if you're just a casual follower of politics, you think everything is great and Ukraine is winning and Vladimir Zelensky is a hero and you know. Vladimir Putin's super evil when there's just so many other political dynamics and strings not only connected to just that situation but like you've talked about with China and North Korea and all the way over to you know Latin America and up into Mexico the strings and the spider webs are all connected and they, and they branch out globally and it seems like right now you, I mean you name some of the absolute all-stars all the holdover from the Obama administration that are kind of running this you know Joe Biden presidency behind the scenes and uh they don't have a real good track record and they don't look really tough on the global stage and they have really done an absolute travesty to our military and like you said put us in such a situation right now that i hope something doesn't pop off uh you know anytime soon but this has been great sitting down with you today and, and catching up colonel we're obviously going to look to have you back real soon we're going to live link your your website in the show description today okay well you guys have a great weekend and don't worry about a thing everything will be fine joe biden told me that (laughs) (laughs) this is our favorite retired u.s army colonel and great friend of the show douglas mcgregor thanks for joining us today right bye-bye well we did it did it again if you enjoyed this episode of the podcast and want to hear the now over 275 other editions of the show make sure you subscribe to us across every downloadable podcasting platform Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and then across social medias. Twitter, Getter, Truth Social, and Instagram. Follow the Steak for Breakfast accounts. Hit that notification bell. We want to thank all of our guests for coming down and sharing a little time with us today. Former Chief of Staff to the DOD, Mr. Cash Patel. Senate candidate out of Arizona, Sheriff Mark Lamb. Former Secretary of the Interior, David Bernhardt. And, of course, Colonel Douglas McGregor. They definitely helped make Steak great again. Guys, don't worry. I know we're heading into the weekend and you will miss us, but we'll be back on Tuesday with an absolute America First heater. Brian Leib, Jesse Benal, Alex DeGrasse, and Brendan Dilley will all be here. On behalf of the pod team and Jim Nels who joined us today, I'm Roan. Noah? Later. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend and take care. Bit of a sissy, isn't he? He was a very powerful magician of the arrangements and uh, a genius in many ways. He was also a lunatic and a genocidal madman. I hate this painting. I felt uncomfortable ever since he came up from storage. Well, you're probably feeling what Vigo is feeling. Carpathian kitten loss. He's missed his kitten. We'll just put one in here by the castle. Yes, we don't go around altering why you've lost Dr. Franklin go. Yes, I think no. Yes, the, the joyfulness is over. He's kidding. Well, you're not going to get a green card with that attitude, pal, okay?